If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to another episode of Remap Radio. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and this is episode 35 for February 16th, 2024. Okay, just because... Neil Anderson, you're not forgotten. You were a damn good running back, too. We remember your number two. We honor mm. it. This uh, has got it. You know what, Rob? You got to lean into this. I feel like we have, like, a remembering a sports guy corner to start off every podcast. <laughs> Today, we are joined by Ricardo Contreras. Hello. Patrick Klavik. I got to look up some numbers ahead of these podcast recordings. Don't worry. Next time, I got you. Well, we're out of the good running back numbers, uh, so uh, you know, th- like from th- from this point on, we're remembering some different guys, and uh, we also have Janet Garcia. Hello, I feel like I'm already under attack, and we haven't really started recording yet. <laughs> I mean, Rob, 34 might be the amount of cost savings the Chicago Bears would like the local school districts to offer them for the right to build a stadium. Uh, they appear to be about 50 million dollars apart. <laughs> My school district has damn an, a billion dollar organization, like with wrapped around their throat over the evaluation of some property to build a stadium. Tremendous. Go schools. Yeah, no no money for no money for stadiums. Uh as always, we are or actually money for stadiums if you're willing to see public control. Like now they don't they don't allow this, right? The the like uh there's a really good article about um oh gosh, who was it? She was the she was a rich man's widow. She inherited the San Diego Padres and her plan was to sell it to the city. Uh, she was not a, she, Yeah. And her plan would like her plan was to sell it to the city so that it could never be moved and would become like a public trust. And the and Major League Baseball stepped in and forced her to sell to an individual. Oh my god, that's a that would have been incredible. I mean, it's a, a pseudo version of what Green Bay has, right? Where Green Bay it would have been a re, it would have been the real version of what Green Bay. The has. real ver- it's the, st- the story that Green Bay tells themselves. <laughs> God, I heard me say pod race. God, you have to say those things race. out loud. You have to admit those things on the record. You cannot put them in the group chat. I, that's why I asked. Wait, there's a pod race in city. Yeah, no, Java's widow wanted to sell the entire race course uh, to the people of Tatooine. Yeah. Uh, any, anyway, uh, as look, always, we are a listener supported podcast. Sorry. I was just going to no, say, there's, 
There's there's fucking I don't know. There's like live Quidditch teams. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody figured out a quote unquote pod, like way to make a real IRL pod race somewhere, right? Like, I'm surprised you leaned into the fact that <laughs> no, 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 I believe this. Could have it could have happened. <laughs> I swear to God, I think IRL pod racing is a thing. Uh, I oh, feel like people see? people take like <laughs> no way race kits and it's so like motorcycle chariot racing is a thing. Uh, so you can absolutely, <laughs> yeah, you can like basically a couple of those pod racers were chariots effectively. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so you could, I'm sure, I'm sure people have done, done some pod racing type stuff. Uh, Look, anyway. there's a mashable, there's a mashable uh, article right here. Real life pod racing. It, it's real. It's real, baby. <laughs> now the headline is dozens killed at real life pod racing. But uh, still, you know, a good time was had by mostly all. Uh, We are a listener-supported podcast and website. If you enjoy Remap Radio and wish to become a supporter, you can learn more at remapradio.com. You can also read articles there. This week, uh, Patrick got to the bottom of that uh, hellacious puzzle in The New Prince of Persia. Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sometimes you get a chance to ask the wizard. Uh, you know what's what what's going on here? What is what did you mean by all this? And you know whether you like the answer or not is up to you. <laughs> our website has links to our membership page where you can sign up for monthly or annual plans to give you access to exclusive remap content and help keep us going as a team. Uh, so at time of recording, we don't really know what Microsoft is going to reveal about their future plans for Xbox. We're chatting early on Thursday morning here, and it won't be until late this afternoon that Microsoft makes their statement. Our plan is to record a segment about that tomorrow and drop it in later in the show because it would be weird if we have an entire like recording, entire show where we're like, uh, if you if you hear us react to the Xbox news and then the rest of the show we're kind of talking around it and hedging. So you know you're gonna hear us right now. We're in a state of innocence, in a state <laughs> of suspense, and then toward the end of the show that 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 situation is going to be you know changed and you're gonna get a chance to hear us uh, you know join you in the future where we all know uh, what the plan is for for Xbox. That's not to say there isn't news, and if stuff with Xbox is, Xbox is hanging over the show, then we might as well check in on PlayStation. Now, we already outlined last week that PlayStation 5 has enjoyed probably one of the most lopsided sales advantages over a segment rival in console history, uh, if we're treating the Switch as a segment to itself. So it seems like things should be golden in Sony land, uh, Patrick, how about them PlayStation unit sales? <laughs> yeah, so uh, Sony had some uh, a recent uh, uh, financial report, uh, you know, uh, that that all companies do on quarterly and annual basis. And the the report on the PlayStation was kind of a out of a mixed bag. Uh, obviously, they are holding a healthy lead on Xbox. If you consider that to be it's if you consider yourself as a, a soldier in the console war, then you're very happy with uh, with Team PlayStation at the moment. But as an industry, uh, how exactly video games make sense monetarily, how we make them, how we market them, how we monetize them is obviously a, a up for great debate. And seems like we're perhaps at a pivot point in how we think about things like that. And so, for example, uh, Sony was hoping to sell 25 million uh, units of the PS5 Um uh, through this uh, this period, they sold 21. Um, more importantly, there were some like really interesting tidbits from Sony leadership, um, their president, Hiroki Totoki, uh, in which uh, one, 
uh, mentioned that the PS5 is, quote, uh, I'll just read the quote. According to Sony, uh, oh, looking ahead, PS5 will enter the latter stage of its life cycle. Uh, as such, we have we will put more emphasis on the balance between profitability and sales. For this reason, we expect the annual sales pace of PS5 hardware will start falling from the next fiscal year. Um, I think hearing a thing like the PlayStation 5, which has very few exclusive exclusives, it feels as though this generation started yesterday. But I also think it's easy to forget how COVID messed everything up. These machines came out of the gate, hobbled from a manufacturing perspective. As slow as Xbox sales have been relative to PlayStation or relative to their own expectations, even Microsoft couldn't keep up with the Xboxes they wanted to sell out of the gate. And that was true for PlayStation for 18, 18 months. Um, and so you, I'm sure the, the way you are managing how much these games cost profitability, life cycle of the hardware has all been kind of thrown up in the air, given the fact that hardware manufacturing was completely busted up by the beginning stages of COVID. And those manufacturing issues lasted for a long time. Game development was radically transformed to the greatest degree that it probably has in like 20 years, like tossing aside like technological innovations, like the way games were made fundamentally shifted at the start of this generational cycle. Um, so games have taken longer, cost more, uh, and uh, I think that's where we, you know, end ourselves in a, in a strange place as as Microsoft and Sony plot what are the next five years of of these platforms. Um, otherwise, uh, the, the, as part of the next year, Sony also pointed out that they're going to have, quote, no release of major franchise titles. Uh, it's worth pointing out the games that Sony's had for the last, like, you know, three plus years. A lot of their major teams have released a game, right? Naughty Dog aside, but Naughty Dog is a a bit of an oddity because uh, probably if the time spent and thus sort of wasted on their multiplayer follow-up that was canceled last year. But, you know, Gran Turismo 7, God of War Ragnarok, Spider-Man 2, Returnal, Horizon Forbidden West, Last of Us Part 2 Remastered, and even a game like Ghost of Tsushima came out right at the end of the PS4. So if these games take conservatively, like, like aggressively three years, like, like, but mostly five years, if not longer, you know, you you find yourself in a period where, of course, a lot of these mainstay development studios at Sony are going to be in a quiet period while they either they probably work up to games that are likely to arrive as weird as it sounds straddling PS5 and PS6, because that is just the amount of time games of this Ugh. scale take. Uh, and what happens in between, you know, we've had some folks like Jeff Grubb at Giant Bomb reporting uh, that, like, it doesn't mean Sony won't have this games. In fact, it might mean we get the game we really want, Rob, which is a sequel to Astro Bot, which is reported to be one of the games that might uh, arrive uh, later this year. So that's kind of where we're at with Sony. There's some other comments we could get into about kind of the fiscal state of game development. But essentially, this, like, relatively recent head of Sony, like, stepped into the role, step, uh, stepped into the role took a look at video games and went, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> these are real expensive, high risk. What? Huh? Well, how does this industry work? Like, that's not the nice <laughs> version of the quote, but that's essentially what the quote said. Uh, yeah. And like, well, Totoki is somebody who's coming from above, right? He is yes. part of Sony, like the overall, the overarching umbrella, uh, corporate structure, uh, you know, Umbrella Corp is uh, is awkward, but you know, the, he's, he's from he's from Sony Group. Effectively, was it the head of PlayStation, the longtime head of PlayStation, Jim Ryan left, and Totoki is an interim CEO while a actual 
like permanent head of PlayStation is is figured out. I mean, Jim Ryan was with PlayStation for almost 30 years, something yeah. like 28 years, I think. So um, I think they're taking their time. So I don't think it's a surprise to have a, a quote unquote outsider, even though they're within the structure of Sony, but someone who, I don't know, you they report the results, they explain how video games work and you oversee this company. But then when you actually step in to try and understand how does this business, this part of the business work, I don't think it's a great shock that someone that doesn't understand how games work came in, looked at the business fundamentals of how games are made right now, especially, and rubbed their temples and said, (laughs) this does not seem sustainable because all the evidence around us suggests this is not sustainable. (laughs) Yeah, um, I guess, you know, we might as well just discuss because I think I think the two conversations are joined. The future of PlayStation and what's happening with this generation, and mm-hmm. then the stuff up about profitability. We might as well discuss the the other half of sort of what people are talking about with with PlayStation. Uh, Pat, there, there was a quote he gave that was like, in some ways, just like corporate, like you know, uh, back padding, and then there are ominous overtones to it as well. And it's it, it's kind of like in the eye of the beholder how how scary you find it. Yeah, I, I could I could read those. So, uh, uh, quote, in the past, we wanted to popularize con- – this is also from Totoki, I should, I should uh, mention. Uh, in the past, we wanted to popularize console, and the first-party title's main purpose was to, mar- uh, was to make the console popular. It is true, but there is a synergy to it. So if you have strong first-party content, not only with our console, but also other platforms like computers, first-party can be grown with multi-platform, and that can uh, help operating profit to improve. So, the, so that is another one we want to proactively work on. I personally think there are opportunities out there for improvement of margins. So I'd like to go aggressive in improving our margin performance. Uh, you know, it's interesting that that quote comes alongside a game we'll talk about later, Helldivers 2, uh, a game that uh, launched simultaneously on PlayStation 5 and PC and has been the most popular game that Sony has released on PC to date. We don't... The games industry doesn't release a lot of concrete data, which is why so many people focus, especially with games with multiplayer components, but even games with single player components like concurrence. It's just how many people are playing it simultaneously. Um, we get a lot of this information mostly from Steam because Steam at least is a little transparent about some of what their uh, uh, their player base is doing. Um, and the numbers on Helldivers 2 are like through the roof, like uh, on the a magnitude of like several hundred thousand people playing concurrently, suggesting the game has sold millions of copies. Um, and uh, I think Sony has said in the past that their their vision is live service games launching simultaneously, single player games launching with a lag. But in uh, even in that case, uh, I believe Ratchet and Clank, which underperformed on PS5 and then really underperformed on PC, um, but came many years later. Uh, would that game have been like if they closed the gap on that from, you know, <laughs> essentially three years to a year 18 months, do they see a better ability to capitalize on that? I want, you know, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see if Helldivers gives the company any pause on what they determine to be the lag between these things. Cause to your point, Rob, essentially what Sony's saying is they don't, they don't want to give any of their, their content to Xbox, but they do want it to appear elsewhere. And Microsoft wants to take their content and they've already given it to the PC because that's part of their ecosystem. And then it's a question of, where does it go to these other boxes? But at the end of the day, it's every single person in video games, every platform essentially being multi-platform to some degree because it is admitting that games are too high risk, they cost too much to make, 
And you have to find ways to maximize the time you've spent building one of them and make that money elsewhere. So they're all multi-platform. <laughs> it's just in some ways a matter of ego um, like and uh, uh, about like where these things are ending up and why they end up there and when they end up there. And I don't think we have clear answers. I don't think anyone has clear answers on what that lag time is supposed to be, what the lag time is before it, it starts to eat away at your at your brand, uh, if that is something you want to maintain. And I think maybe with Xbox, we're going to find their turnaround might be a little faster than than Sony's. Yeah. It always felt like, I mean, I, I think early on there was a little bit more of a, a sort of argument to be said about, well, not everyone can afford a a computer that can play most of these things. And I think the gap has just dramatically closed in the last yeah. decade of just like everyone needs computers for daily life, work, whatever anyways. And a lot of times they're just good enough to play a lot of the lower end stuff on that's on console, right? Like even without it being like a quote unquote gamer, like <laughs> rig, uh, there are still obviously games that like surpass that at times, but like for the most part, it feels like there's tons of things that, could exist on both like from a technical standpoint so it makes less and less like you're saying my, uh the financial uh uh to financial uh sense to hold back from this other market that could be giving you money for your game right um and it also makes the fact that these consoles have to be more and more expensive like the the cost between a console and a low-end PC has started, you know, closing as well, right? As the technologies get closer, PCs so does the get Kais. cheaper. Yeah, exactly. Price cuts aren't happening for the PlayStation 5. Exactly. They did the opposite. <laughs> they increased the price. Uh, you, know what I, you know what I mean? For, right. for large parts of the world. Like, we're not seeing those sort of cost savings we normally get over a console generation, which is where you charge a lot up front, then we get slim models, right. and then the, like, like the manufacturing like gets cheaper and then the consoles get cheaper, which it makes your margins on the better. hardware better. Yeah. And then the margins you're getting on the software, like that's the whole reason you're a platform. Right. Or at least that's the that's been the pitch of like why you do the hard part of building a platform is it sucks up front and it's better later. Or you're Nintendo and you discover what if we just put a mobile device inside there and figured the rest figured out? Figured the rest out, right. <laughs> made, made, made stuff for the platform. What if we put an Android phone from 15 <laughs> years ago in there and made Motherfuckers, Tears of the Kingdom? It worked, yeah. It's fucked up, but it worked. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's just like, it, it feels almost more likely at this point that if somebody's interested in games and they're going to need a computer for their daily life anyways, they're going to spend a few extra hundred dollars making it like able to play games by doing an upgrade on the graphics card, then 500 whatever to get a new PS5, right? Like at the if you're just doing the like cost benefit analysis necessarily. Um, and I feel like that's just become more and more true recently. So it's like, yeah, I think this the move was kind of a long time coming. Like, I, I feel this always felt like it's going to end up this way just because of the way the technology trends were going, where like it was cheaper to get make your own computer, it was you know. And it ends up being more expensive for them to manufacture these things. So, yeah. Well, and Steam, right? I don't think you can take Steam. Like, Steam is such <laughs> an important player in the popular... I, I don't know that PCs yeah. get here without essentially... Like, is Steam a monopoly? Yes. Mm. <laughs> is it a really good one? For the most part, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know that PCs get to mainstream acceptance in this way or this fast without without something... Like Steam. Uh, right, I don't like know, Rob, if you disagree as someone that has been 
like on the PC train longer, longer than I am. If that armchair analysis feels <laughs> like a little glib. I think steam solved a lot of problems for, I mean, the first thing the steam does is it drives digital distribution. Right. Uh, the, you know, the, the fact that valve forced everyone to like to get the orange box, maybe the greatest deal of all time in like the history <laughs> yeah. of video games to get that, you had to finally like commit to using Steam, uh, and then once you were in there, you're like, "Damn, this is easy. I like this. This is good." But like, <laughs> you know, they're able to leverage that. But I think on the developer side, you know, obviously, yes. Now you have a really robust uh, digital delivery system. It also, uh, you know, Steam has enough tools and resources that it can like uh, spare you some development overhead. Uh, you know, solving things like matchmaking and such is, is a thing you can implement through through Steam and integrate, integrates well with uh, various other parts of, of multiplayer services. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it, it it assuages some of the fears that I think a lot of developers had and spared them having to invest tons of time in continuing to like try and defend the sanctity of the computer disk. Uh, so I, I think that I think that helps um, as, as far as like, but I think the one the one part of this that I guess I, I struggle with a little bit is. I agree the tr- the technology trends have been we, we discussed this before with Xbox, like kind of what what is your purpose here if effectively you're just a PC in a different costume, right? And a slightly different interface, but like the boxes are increasingly similar under, mm. you know, under the surface. Uh, if we get to a point now where, you know, they're very similar under the surface, increasingly they are all drawing from the same library, maybe shifted release calendars a little bit, but you start hitting a point where it's like, okay, well, what is the, what is the purpose of, of the console itself? Uh, what is, what, what, what are we doing here? Uh, and I, I think, you know, something that hit me with seeing Sony's discussion of like uh, the PS5 might be transitioning to the latter stages of its life cycle. Uh, what's what's odd to me is that part of it is just time flies. You know, it feels like the, the PS5 didn't come out that long ago. But I also feel like I don't feel like it's hardware that is holding back like Thing, like cool new stuff in in video games. like there's you know both the PlayStation and the Xbox are still really good gaming experiences and my yardstick is like the best gaming computer I've ever bought and it's still like really comparable between them like you know obviously yes like you know the entry level gaming PC versus like what the console is uh that is also narrowed but I still think consoles like have a pretty good value proposition. But then I do find it really hard to justify. Like if we're saying that this is the latter stage of the PS5's life cycle, we're gonna we're gonna be moving on to PS6. Uh, obviously, that is that's financial guidance. That is for like long term. This is you know where we are in the business cycle. We're thinking along these lines. But I'm sitting here and I'm like. You're going your studios are like breaking the bank trying to maximize uh <laughs> trying to maximize what what they can do on this on this hardware. Uh and most games don't even clo- come close to really pushing it that hard as far as you know as far as any of us can tell. 
what would we need from a PS6? Like, obviously, I see why Sony would want one. You know, you, you kind of historically everything tails off as a console generation matures. Like people get less interested in games until there's new hardware. It's always been a symbiotic thing where like new hardware excites, excites gamers and, and, and gets them, gets them gaming more. But we already, you know, we part of our diagnosis with the, the challenges the Xbox faced this generation was, I don't know, is this, that, is this that great an upgrade from the series, from the series, uh, from the, from the one X at least, uh, you, you know, is it is it this huge jump uh, from from what we've what we've had before? I think it's even harder to justify, you know, at, at this point, because I look at I look at the PS5 and yes, there's some luxury features I wish it had. I wish it handled like switching games a little better. Uh, quick play is is a nice thing, the nice thing to have. But it's just it's there's so few moments where I look at the PS5 and go man, I, I need to play that on PC because it's so much better on my PC. I don't have that feeling very often. Yeah, I don't know if I had that feeling too much even with the PS4. I think my thing with the PS4 towards the end was that it sounded like a jet engine. <laughs> so they oh just turned God. the fan up on the PS5 and we're like, oh, it's time for the PS6. But I mean, I think to your point, yeah, I mean, we've shifted away from feel like really feeling those incremental jumps that we used to feel like many generations ago where every generation felt like you really were stepping into the next era of what a video game can be and i feel like now it's more it doesn't like a little bit of extra power but it's really more what's maybe a gimmick for lack of a better term that we can kind of tout out and i think with the ps5 you know it was a lot of that um what the dual sense could do and like how they were pushing audio and things like that. And obviously there's like the aesthetic changes and things, which I, it's funny because it's a lot of this conversation is, well, console is continuously making less and less sense. And that's true, but like, that's kind of been true for a minute. And like, I've never cared about that. Like, I think people, I don't know if it's enough to, you know, move the market at scale it probably isn't because it's in, inherently it's a niche hobby like gaming any hobbies has its you know lane and then within that it's subsects of how people interact with that but like for me I have a console because I like consoles I don't care that it doesn't make sense like I don't care that I can play it somewhere else I don't care that it's easier or better or like oh it's just I think I've been so and me and like a lot of people who are gonna buy consoles until they just stop making them it's like I just like having a box I like the plug and play vibe I like walking it around and not having to think about well if I want to play on my tv and I leave the computer on and the this that and the third you know there's an aspect of that and I think it just does the thing I, 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 I get that and also I think the nostalgia of like what it means like it is silly to like drop hundreds of dollars on like the vibes of having a new console but like a lot of it is that like you it's know, not even silly with, here not on this yeah. podcast like you're like dropping dropping a lot of money on my monitor that are about vibe based. sorry <laughs> no exa- right exactly like, a lot of this has go. never made sense so it's like okay <laughs> it's continuing down that path i mean i think to that point though like that doesn't mean that the industry is still going to move how it's going to move but i think there's always going to be people that have an excitement for that and people that will have, you know, a sadness if it ever does go away or I think shift into more of, I wouldn't say the iPhone model because iPhone's always cranking out stuff, but more of a, hey, like the, it's not so much looking at what's next. It's like 
sometimes something new might pop up and then people might upgrade the way you'll make upgrades to your PC, but it won't have that same. No, I think you're right. Type. I think you're onto something there though, with like the phone or PC. Like you're you upgrade when it feels convenient yes. for you. I and don't, the upgrades are I don't think hmm? so. I think they flirted with that in the last generation. They proved why it doesn't work. Like Apple but it requires a hard cutoff then, right? Like part of the part of the frustration with the PS5 is I mean Horizon Forbidden West, that was a PS4 PS5 game and then the DLC that came out last year was yes. PS5 only. Like it took 3 plus years before they were willing to go like create a hard cutoff. I just don't know if if these games cost this much, have this much risk. I understand what you're saying, right? Probably the, it, it might actually be in like their best interest to create hard cutoffs and like not do things like backwards compatibility and be like games, the games are here. You can only play them here. But I, I, I feel like, I feel like I, we, we're too far past that. Like the PS six is going to also have tons of PS five games. No, no so that's think, not what I mean. Okay. W- what I mean is that you can't do, or it's not a satisfying answer to do what uh, Sony did with the, uh, what was their, uh, the PS four pro the pro or the, uh, the, the one the, X, the, the yeah, the one X. Uh, that those weren't like satisfying answers to the to the the problem of aging hardware, uh, because you still had to say like, but of course this can still run on your PS4, wink, and <laughs> you know that like phone users are conditioned to their phone turning into a piece of shit at like a really rapid clip, right? Where it's like, you know, you get that new phone feel and then, you know, a year later as the new phones come out, it's like, hey, we got a cool system update. Why don't you install that? Why don't you just install that bad boy? And immediately you're like, damn, everything feels worse. Like, phone users are conditioned to just be, uh, you know, abused like that and have their face ground in, <laughs> ground in the mud of planned obsolescence. Uh, but it, it creates a lot of problems for, for consoles because, like, the minute you're saying, like, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, if you got if you got a PlayStation, you can play our latest PlayStation game. Don't worry about it. Uh, but please make sure which which of these SKUs do you have? When did you buy it? I they, they have to like the console business model. I think depends on having a big generational fanfare. But to your point, Patrick, I think one of the reasons that I find like we're entering the latter stages of our console cycle, and uh, you know, new no new releases this year, you end up in a place where like. Let's say they release PS6 in like three years, right? That like it's a long, it's a long runway than like rolling out a new. La- ladder could mean a lot of, you know what I mean? Like ladder yeah. does not suggest PlayStation Six. I think that is them just signaling we are beginning to think, you know, addr- address seriously where this is going. But if it were three years out, years. that would make it a very long console generation, almost in line with Seven, the 360 right? PS3, yeah. uh, which was a very long console generation uh, then. And what's funny is now, in in the first time we did that, we had a long console generation. Entire franchises bloomed in that period, and like had multiple games come out. Like basically all of Gears of War, right? The the main trilogy unfolds in that yeah. console generation. Uh, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. I don't think. I don't think they needed the. I don't think the third one wrapped on one. Did it? Uh, no. no. Right? Gears of Gears of. Uh, Gears of War might have actually gotten its spinoff on the 360. Uh, yeah, the one that was Tom Bissell, written by Tom Bissell, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, Gears of War Renegaders. I forget the, the the subtitle, but yes, like yeah, <laughs> ripped through four entries of on a single platform. Well, no, and now four, we're in this world where yeah, go on. Fourth was the one that was an Xbox One, but the first three, the original three, right? 
Three plus the spinoff, I think, yeah. were, were 360. Oh, okay. right. Okay. And now we're in this world where it's like, all right, well, it's time to begin preparing for the latter stages of the PS5's life. I hope you've all enjoyed the output for this generation from Sony Studios. <laughs> I, I had a lot of fun in Demon's Souls, and I know you did too, Rob. <laughs> game, Rob Zachary's Game of the Year, Demon's Demon Souls. Souls. Let's check in on Peter Parker and Miles Morales uh, in like five, six more years. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Don't worry, they'll be the same age they are now. You won't, but nothing will change oh, no. in that world. And, and and so like it's just it's this bizarre place to end up where it's like. I guess it's time to start thinking about the generational transition. And it's like, where's the rest of the games? And it's like, sorry, the, the, the runway is too long now. It, it, which I think is, is what the other part of the quote, you know, the other, the other parts of this conversation. Yeah, I can, I can, yeah, I can, I can read, I can read that one. Uh, so this also comes from, uh, Totoki, uh, quote, uh, actually I am the chairperson of SIE, Sony Interactive Entertainment. Uh, it's been about four months, and I'm trying to demonstrate leadership and trying to have as many meetings as possible with the management team. I also visit studios, and everyone is working really hard to fulfill their responsibility to try to optimize the business. And I understand that. But overall growth and sustainable profitability or increasing margin, how will that translate to these goals? I don't think people understand that <laughs> deeply. I think that is the problem of the organization. So as far as I'm concerned... I'm try- I try to understand what is happening in the company, in the industry, and also the perspective of the analysts, and try to explain in a transparent manner so that people can recognize and notice these issues so that we can have a harmonized approach going forward. That is a very general comment since I became the chairperson. There are concrete points which I will not go into today. Uh, now, about visiting the studios, and I've had meetings with the leaders there, the studios. People who work there in the studios have very high motivation. They're very highly motivated. They're very good people. And they're very, uh, they're very creative people. They have great creative minds. And they also have knowledge about live streaming. <laughs> I feel like that's like a, like a translation <laughs> quirk. Uh, however, having said that, when it comes to the business, business itself, I think there is room for improvement. And that's got to do about how to use the money or about the schedule development or how to fulfill one's accountability towards development, etc. Those are my frank impressions. So I continue to engage in dialogue with the people so that we can find the right way to proceed. I think it's like, keep in mind, as I read that, obviously, like, that is translated. Like, I feel like we yep. probably lose some nuance in what this person is saying. That said, if you want to look at that in the most challenging light, the thing you do before you 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 put in a new actual head of PlayStation is you bring in the bad guy who comes look at the <clears> business <throat> and says, the fuck is this slop? What are we doing here? Um, and I, you know, I don't necessarily know that that means we're going to look at Mass layoffs at Sony, a complete restructuring of of game development. But if you want to read between the lines on here, it does suggest this: the path that Jim Ryan, or maybe just games industry, but specifically Jim Ryan's idea of doubling down on very expensive single-player games that take four, five, six years to make, have to sell 20, 30 million copies in order to, be, to break even and then be profitable and allow the next game some runway. You can interpret these comments as Totoki going... Yeah, that ain't it. Like, isn't there a better way to make money here? And there may be evidence of how you do that in the very studio that, you know, Insomniac, which had the ransomware attack. Um, I believe based on the information gleaned from those uh, stolen documents, the game should be profitable now. It passed like the threshold it needed to be to be um, profitable uh, based on how expensive the game was. Um, But even in Insomniac's internal documents, 
they suggested that the Miles Morales game, which sold a ton of copies, was well, uh, uh, like well lauded. Might be my favorite of the three Spider-Man games that Insomniac has made. Um, was a lot cheaper and made a lot more money. Um, and that used to be the kinds of games this industry made a lot more of, which were games that were ten to fifteen hours long, took two to three years to make, and had smaller teams. And obviously, the just the sheer uh, re- like technical resources required to make games these days mean things are scaling in a certain direction. Um, but you do have to wonder if between how often do we see games on Steam that come from very tiny teams that just sort of take off? You look at your PAL worlds or Helldivers, right? Helldivers is not a huge team. They're now scrambling to hire people in order to keep up with how that game uh, is, is hitting. Um, it's easy to say just make smaller games that are big hits, but I do think you can read the, between the lines here and, and see a, an executive that maybe is questioning the path that Sony has been been on. Janet, you you co-hosted for a very long time a PlayStation podcast, uh, PS I Love You, over yeah. at, at, at Kind of Funny. Like, what's the sense that, I don't know, like that audience, which is like the kind of audience we're talking about here, like looks at all, all this? I mean, I think, man... That's interesting because like there's obviously the kind of funny audience and like PlayStation fans in a more general sense. I mean, I think everyone I feel like maybe there might be a little bit of probably a little too much optimism. I think for most people, it's kind of the case Um, because like, you know, it's funny because I was just looking at like like Blessing, who, you know, still co-hosts that show, was talking about like he tweeted out about the story and he said i've been repeatedly saying for a while that the run of playstation games from 2017 to 2020 isn't replicable um the stars just really aligned those years and then talking about how long t- games take to make and i do think mm-hmm. i feel like it's very clear that not that playstation is like oh spiraling or anything it's obviously a very successful company that makes you know games that i really love games that are super critically acclaimed and games that sell well but yeah that era that happened in that PS4 section, like that's a really high high that I don't think is, you know, easy to replicate. So it doesn't like to me, I don't want to say like the best years are behind because you never know like how things are going to like continue. And I like think they have like a really strong base in the franchise that they've established, but the, the kind of perfect storm of having investing in the existing franchises and also coming up with new stuff I mean, I don't, again, I don't know how much the audience gleams away from it, but a lot of the conversations we've had is how we don't really have that as much at the moment. Like we haven't seen like that type of that kind of perfect push pull of of new and old kind of cycling through like that just hasn't really been the cadence. And, you know, part of that is with how long things take to make, um, you know, that the, the uh, you know, for all of its maybe lack of transparency in some ways, but that Naughty Dog documentary, you know, just dropped, uh, what is it, Grounded 2. Grounded, yeah. Yeah, and that I was like, half of it. It was pretty good. Yeah, and like the big, converse, one of the big conversations there was like, we're going to work really hard to like not make this like a crunchy hellscape. <laughs> and then they get to the end and then they're like, it was and a crunchy hellscape. And a lot <laughs> of the conversations they were having were like, oh my God, this game is so much bigger than I think, like it just keeps going and it's just like, this you know almost unwieldy thing to 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 grab onto and they especially in comparison to the last of us one like what that game was and kind of comparing it so yeah i mean i think uh, and again you know best years are debatable because it's like you know you could argue oh the quality but they had a regular cadence now. like yes. like they they like the end of the ps4 like especially starting with like last of us part two um 
like Sony had a regular, like almost annualized one of their big studios, one of their central like pillars. Like it was essentially like in many ways, it didn't prove the model, but between like end of cycle kind of bangers, like however you think of like, and I use banger in the sense of like it was a big successful game. Clearly Waypoint did not like The Last of Us Part 2 very much, but it was a hugely successful game. Ghost of Tsushima, then you get to Demon Souls, Spider-Man 2, Miles Morales, like Spider-Man, like there's just a ton of shit happening in this period. And now like the bill is due, like essentially, like that's, that's kind of what is happening here is like, yeah, a combination of studios culminating releases at during the end of a life cycle of a hardware, the beginning of the cycle of another, and then COVID hits, and then games just get kind of time shifted by 6, 12, 18 months. It just created a really successful string of games, and then you have to re- reload. And the, the question is, what, what do they do to to fill the gap. Some of that is Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, right? Like, they don't own that game. They didn't make yeah. that game. But they spent enough money to make that, es- like, essentially To make it feel like they own the game. It feels like, like yeah, it does. Basically, this is in the show, yes. you know? Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely also part of it. But, yeah, you can't just, like, I mean, I'm not really, you know, necessarily worried, uh, per se. And I don't, I don't think the PlayStation audience is, oh, my God, like... I, Oh, again, maybe some fact, maybe some factions of the audience, but the sense I get from like you know listeners of that show isn't, oh, like what are they going to do? How are they going to? It's you know again maybe leaning a little too much on the optimistic side in some terms, but I I do think the out the outputs there, and you can't always have like up years all the time, and I talk about that a lot, you know, when we look at the industry generally, like we'll have these incredible years of software where it feels like. Oh, if you think of a top 100 games list, like three of those came out in a given year, that probably won't happen again the next year. Like why? Because, like, you know, you can't be putting out like the best things ever all the time, all at once from every facet of the industry. Like there are going to be some years that aren't as exciting holistically and certainly poor. You know, when you think of the big three, that's definitely going to be the case from time to time. Like the question is more, you know, what is, again, that vision moving forward? It's interesting too, like this coming in with like Helldivers 2, a live service game where it's like there's been so much hesitancy around that. And I feel like mm-hmm. it's this was such a weird moment of like, wow, they put out this game and it's good and it's on PC. So it kind of like it feels like when you think of the Doctor Strange multiple universes, it's like, hey, look, we got one of the good ones where like, well, it's like ju- are Justice cool. League comes out and everyone's like, ah. Death of the Games Fuck live service games. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, I don't think we're doing these anymore. And then we're all, America, we got to go spread democracy and Helldivers too, which just goes to show it's, yeah, it's. (laughs) More importantly, we need to spend money on currency for uh, ever ever more colorful and polished and gilded out, uh, like medieval uniforms and like fashion outfits. Yeah. If they had better cosmetics, just I don't want to jump too much ahead. Give them time. There. I would have, mm. I would have been tapped that card. I'm telling you right now, it's auto possessed to the account. I've, I've spent more and gained less. You know, like I had that Fortnite. What was it called the crew? I was part of the crew for a minute. I oh was getting God. that. You know, when that the, when those Dragon Ball Z characters dropped, oh, I, I yeah. look. I was the V Bug packs, <laughs> and I'm just saying I scrolled all the way to the right. All right, I don't want to get into the details. <laughs> Well, but that's where the I value like, is. <laughs> if you're not, if you're not, if you're not going games. big, yeah. Exactly. No, no. Hey, Rob, see, you get it. I don't want to lose money on this. Yeah, no, I'm good with money. 
so I think like, but I think the other part of this is if we're talking about like, what is the point of a console? I, I, I do think like to a point Janet was making uh, a few minutes ago. It's so funny how like the PC has gotten better than ever at like replicating the ease of use of a console. Yeah. But it's not there yet. And the difference that remains is profound. Like I like I moved the PC into the living room for, uh, you know, for for the last few months. Uh, and it was still more of a pain in the ass to use that thing to play games than it was to play on the PlayStation or the Xbox. Uh, there's just a lot of things that are just easier on a console. And the PC struggles to because of its flexibility. Uh, it also struggles to to replicate that, and so I think from the from the standpoint of from the standpoint of people like playing games, the like value of a good console is pretty high. Uh, like especially if they sort of spec it right, and you don't have a thing that begins to feel like it's on its last legs within a, two years of coming out, which I kind of felt was the PS4. I've never been less whelmed by a console than the PS4. I like it was an improvement over, you know, what I was coming off of, but it was like, damn, it doesn't take long before I start feeling like I hit the limits of this thing. Uh, but from the standpoint of the, the platform holder, the other point of this was it was like once upon a time, you'd get your sort your 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 royalty, your your tribute to have games come out on that console that you didn't have to make and that you didn't have to carry the risk on. You just got to, you were like, look at how many of these units we sold. Don't you want access to this market? And now increasingly it's like, well, I guess we have to make the games ourselves and they, they're expensive as hell. And then nobody can compete with that. Like, like unless you are in, unless you are inside the tent at like a Sony or Microsoft, you're not going to be able to, to sort of match what uh, sort of the, the the first party studios are are doing. And so I think that's the other part of where I see the console business just ending up in a profoundly weird, weird place where, uh, you know, used to be you could sort of sell the console as a lost leader and the sale of third party games would be such a major contributor to the financial success of the platform and now, you know, when we talk about that missing middle of video games, the the middle, how we define it has been expanding. It's only been going more missing in, you know, with each successive generation. But like that was that missing middle was the was the business model for for like what made the console make sense. And so now it's kind of in this weird place where it's like you got to develop the box, take the huge risk of like launching it. And then you have to make all the games for it. But by the way, every studio is now going to spend like a good fraction of a billion dollars making their game for that for that console, plus the years it takes to to do it. And they get to make one bet per generation, basically. And you can hedge that bet by, you know, and then you'll take another bite with the remastered edition and the definitive edition. <laughs> but like fundamentally, that's the business you're in. Uh, and, and I like... I think for me, when I see the, uh, you know, Totoki's uh, quote about like needing to discuss profitability and how all this works, I like obviously with the landscape of the industry, things are ominous. Like it's just like it's it's a really concerning industry from that standpoint. But I also kind of wonder, you know, if anyone's kind of been successful at it in a lot of ways, it's it's been Sony. I'm not sure how 
controllable some of these costs are. Like, you might like the development costs to stabilize a bit more and for development schedules to be a little bit better regulated. But if that were easily done, it would have happened by now. You know, I feel like well, that, was the, that of, was the live service pitch, though, right? Like, I think that was Jim Ryan's idea was if you get a bunch of live service games, that helps you cost. Like, you don't do cost contain on Spider-Man 2. You have Helldivers 2 out here making up the money that you can't get. That you can't drive down on Spider-Man 2. Like, yeah. there is a... There is a like I I, I see the picture like yeah. I see, like if you identify that look Last of Us Part Three, which we're gonna make regardless of what Naughty Dog wants to do, uh, is gonna cost a gajillion dollars, and it's like well between the TV show being a huge hit and then a remastered edition and then a multiplayer game from that same world that has live service stuff, when all the math at the end of that makes more sense than just greenlighting Last of Us Part 3 for the PlayStation 5. Um, so it's a beautiful picture if you can do it. And I think that's where we have on one, on two worlds existing at the same time of, I think live services, like, <laughs> we're so over, we're so back, happened between Justice League <laughs> and Helldivers 2. Um, but I, I, but it, I, if anything, it goes to show the the inherent risk in that model itself, right? Like li- Like, the moment you dip your toes into live service it's just a different beast it has its own risks it is not just print it's not just printing money um and i think that's what justice league shows is or a suicide squad shows is you can cannibalize your own potential success by trying to have the mo- the machine that prints money um and then helldivers 2 comes in and just knocks it out of the park but uh you know that doesn't mean everything else that sony is going to do will do as well as the helldivers 2 that's uh That'll be a difficult bar to, to read. No, I mean, there's already a lot of bodies littering the road, uh, you know, behind Helldivers, too. Like, there's a lot of, like, well, we thought it would be us, and it just didn't work out that way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, like, but I think, you know, this, like, from, from the COO's standpoint, like, it's the, can we get this a little more under control and make these things come out a little more predictably with a little more predictable costs? But I think that's the the managerial perspective of, like, I feel like in the when we had stuff like, the first wave of sort of reflection in the game industry following like EA spouse uh, stuff about like, you know, how can we make this industry more sustainable and more humane? I remember, uh, you know, being at like professional conferences, you know, 10, 15 years ago where in so many words, like there were a lot of producers out there like putting on their capes and being like, we'll fix it. <laughs> remember the whole like crunch is a failure of leadership. You can you can just be smarter and like plan better and like be be more sensitive and thoughtful and deliberate, uh, and that will that will get you. You won't have to crunch, and that doesn't seem to have totally been the case. Like there are well, uh, yes, there there are some games. Pardon. Uh, what I was gonna say is that I feel like the 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 the. The misalignment there is that part of care is also being like this game should be shorter, even if that technically seems less appeasing to like the the modern gamer, right? Like that's part of how you. Avoid well, yeah, but that's the whole. I want like shorter scale. games. That like yeah, yeah. But <laughs> the thing is, like, great. Uh, then we're gonna go out of business. Like that's that's the standpoint of like how do I how do I sell that? Because the thing that is reliably like making 
a return in a lot of cases. If you're not one of the lucky ones who it's like, you know, we put up the shot and it it, it went through. In a lot of cases, it's like you're going to be increasing your exposure to like uh, risk by marketing spend. And you're going to be investing more on like features and, you know, promising the, you know, a, a game that's going to be a bigger and bigger event, a bigger and bigger value. And so I, I think there were, I, I think if, it, if studios felt like it was safer and more sustainable to scale back, more of them would have done it. There have been a number of experiments to try and produce like, you know, cut down, uh, you know, sized, you know, parts of franchises. It hasn't gone smoothly. And so I think this is like, this is, I think one of the, the real like tension, like tensions and like where the game industry is at is like, you know, making games is very hard. There are reasons why, despite best intentions, sometimes they end up being crunchy messes or they just end up, you, you end up with a game that's just not, you know, very good. Uh, and that can happen being a crunchy game or not, but it's like the notion that you can make it predictable in both. It's like cycle of production and then how, how it will exist in the marketplace. Both of those are really doubtful propositions. Uh, and you know, we're, we're kind of stuck in a model where it's going to be a gamble no matter what. And I think that's I, I do I do wonder if um you know what if anything like the COO of Sony sort of interim overseeing SIE like what are they going to take away from this what can they do to fix it because uh, I, I I don't think this is like a a hostile like here comes the guy from corporate to to you know bring games to heal games are such an important part of what Sony is now. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Sony's hardware businesses have, you know, historic have, have struggled in recent decades. Uh, so well, and it's, it's becoming increasingly important for their movie and television business, right? Yeah. Like there's a, there's a corporate realignment that's happening where they are lining up their game productions with their television and film production. It's not all they're doing. It's not just the, but it, it is increasingly part of extensions of PlayStation. And I suspect that to be only increased as the years go on. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think this is in any danger of like time to dump PlayStation. It's more how do we make this business business make more sense, which fundamentally is what Xbox is asking themselves, too, that will, you know, <laughs> unpack, you know, later is how do we make this business make more sense? And everyone's going to come to not necessarily different conclusions, but just a different thing to stick at the wall, throw at the wall. And each of them are going to hope it sticks. It's going to be wild when it turns out the answer is Hexen. But uh, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how see how that unfolds. Uh, but uh, to that point, one other just uh, news item I wanted to hit, and this will touch on a game we're going to talk about uh, in the second half of the show. Uh, you know, complaints from uh, the video game developers union in uh, in France that don't nod is having a number of labor issues, particularly centering centering on the nature of the parallel pipelines they run and how mm-hmm. the overall studio structure is being managed. Yeah, there, there was a, yeah, I, I recommend people check out the summarization of this over at uh, game developer under the headline uh, STJV union claims don't nod mismanagement causing 
staff burnout. Um, uh, there's a couple different things that are happening, uh, like specific instances where the team that worked on Jusant didn't have anywhere to move after that game came out. And so rather than uh, there was like very little communication from the studio on what was happening after that game was released, then the entire team was sort of just disbanded and like shuttled around to different parts of Don't Nod. The team that worked on Banishers, a game Rob and I will talk about in, in a little bit, um, like, you know, like, uh, seemed like criminally understaffed throughout much of its development, heavily relying on contractors. Seems like Don't Nod in general has a habit of relying on a hiring and firing cycle of of contractors. Not unique to Don't Nod. That is very common in a lot of game development. Um, and uh, th- like, for example, when Banishers was mo- all, all of a sudden delayed from last fall to this February the developers found out 30 minutes before a press release <laughs> went out. Um, so and there also seems to be a lot of uh, angst from uh, the, the folks that don't nod uh, here that there's just not as much communication as they would like. Like It's funny, like reading through this, it seemed like relative to like the really depressing shit that we talk about. Like I'm not dismissing anything that's happening here. Like you have a union you should fight for like being treated better contractors, fully employed, but like you open up a report like this and you're sort of expecting like, okay, what sexual deviant has been running around this studio for the last five years. And it's all been put under the rug. It's like, Oh, like they want to treat the contract workers better. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. That's something that makes sense. <laughs> oh, they're to just me. shitty, like, uncommunicative <laughs> bosses. Fantastic. Yeah, been there. We can work been from there. there. We can work from there. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. In some ways, I was like, I was like, well, that's the kind of labor exploitation that I'm used to. Again, um, bars on the floor. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I'm not not uh, being dismissive. It's more just a lot of the shit that we usually read about, talk about here is you, you're going to open that. And especially after we'd had our jokey conversation about don't nod, I was like, fuck, man, like. So Janet doesn't like anything they're making, and then now they're treating all everyone there like crap. Like it's just a, I'm just taking L's left and right. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know, but the nice part is they, they, they have representation, or at least you know some of the studio does, so that a report like this can can get out. Um, and you know, the don't not gave the very perfunctory sort of uh, response, which was uh, uh, in part uh, to quote from the game developer piece. Um, uh, this alleged behavior, quote, does not align with our company values and culture, which that's what everybody says. And that that's what happens on all spectrum, whether there is like like manifest uh, sexual harassment throughout the company and or contractor exploitation. You always get, well, that doesn't line up with what we said our company is about. Um, so hopefully uh, the result of this is a better run studio. And in some ways, actually, I'm not shocked that this was happening given the very things that Janet and I were talking about, which is, huh, this quaint little French developer went from not making many games, Life is Strange takes off, and then they go, what if we made a shitload of games? (laughs) And the consequences of that rapid expansion that predate the sort of financial collapse that we're like seeing happen in a lot of game development at the moment um, cause life is strange. The original at this point is oof. That's probably 10 years, 10 years that's, ago. Don't, don't want to think that. about that. <laughs> don't think about that one. Um, you know, it, the studio rapidly expanded, um, has been making a lot of different games. And so not shocked to then hear that the studio is not necessarily, or is, is, is struggling to juggle all that. And even if you have people with the best of intentions, if you rapidly expand and you're juggling everything, like you're going to treat people 
poorly in in the process. So hopefully this is a moment of pause. I, you know, uh, I don't know how well Vanishers is going to sell. Um, and so I do wonder if a certain era of don't nod is coming coming to an end um, on the heels of a report like this. Yeah, and I don't know. I've looked at stuff with the uh, S, uh, STJV before mm-hmm. the uh, Syndicate de uh, tra- Traveleur uh, de Juve, Juve video. I, I can't pronounce French uh, to save my fucking life, so <laughs> apologies. But yeah, uh, Syndicate of uh, Video Game Workers. Uh, so I'm not sure it's like. I'm not sure they're running like full union shops at these studios, but I think mm. it goes beyond what we have here stateside. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I think this is a sort of more representative uh, like body just in terms of like does credibly speak for workers in a variety of like interactions with game studios, but I'm not necessarily sure that it's like, and this is and there are wall to wall unions at a bunch of studios that are all member of STJV. Uh, but well, so anyone can join. Right. Yeah. Like I was like, if you re- it's, it's worth reading through their the fact on their website to get a better sense of like the structure of this. Like this isn't, um, you know, like if you work at a French game developer and you want to be in here, you can go to their website and just sign up, which is different than like. <laughs> If you didn't work at Vice, like work on the editorial team, you couldn't just be like, man, this seems like I got a pretty good union. Like, I'd like to be part of that. So this is like a slightly different, different structure than how we traditionally think of unions organizing under like certain business units within within companies. You don't like stick with your union uh, afterwards. I'm sorry. Just quick thing. Mm. Mm. So one of the things they're like one of their points about like working conditions that don't nod. I'm just wondering if this is being if this is correctly stated. Uh, it does, however, the the survey presents an overview of various topics, and employees can learn that at Don't Not Studios, 28% say they receive no recognition for their work. 30% would discourage acquaintances from applying to Don't Nod. 39% feel workloads too heavy. 50% disapprove of corporate strategy. So you're saying that in the bottom two boxes of the survey, you only got like. 28% saying they have like these like obviously these are numbers too high for a really happy workplace but this sort of leaves open the possibility there's a 60 to 70% that came back on the on the survey being like eh it's a job seems like they're doing all right yeah yeah, yeah it's just it's well, it's a, it's, a, it's a funny thing like uh, I'm very I'm, curious how many people just sort of gave the like neutral response versus how many were in sort of the top two boxes, very satisfied, uh, you know, modestly satisfied. But mm-hmm. it's just kind of a, you know, again, like it, it seems like there are some real concerns, particularly centering. I think this is what the the uh, STJV's point is really centering on. It, employees are kind of in the dark about like what's this parallel production strategy headed towards like. Yeah. games did you sound flop how badly did it flop like everyone was just sort of reassigned what what's what's going on here uh but it's it, it's sort of a odd place to to be for a studio and i think it to, to some degree some of this is inherent to the type of approach don't nod has has taken we talk about like again the missing middle don't nod at least in this last Makes generation figured out yeah. how to make it work <laughs> I don't know whether this is inherent to making it work or not. Um, I'm. I, I guess we'll find out as we see how 
uh, what sort of fallout uh, Jusant and how Banishers uh, does. Uh, I, I think yeah, they, it's uh, just sort of an interesting story because I think a lot of us have always sort of wondered. Don't not puts out so many different games. What's going on? Totally different vibes. <laughs> totally different. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. I was. You always, you're always kind of wondering, like, but how? There's nothing in Banishers that would suggest to you it's all the stu- also the studio making life is strange. Right. Like, a- absolutely well, I mean, nothing. Not Zero. The studio uh, that did make but, life but, but, well, but you know what I mean. But like, sold off. And then the, the best Life of Strange game came out. So, um, funny how I agree. True Colors is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, two, two quick points. One to Rob's point. Further down, they do mention that the the survey was averaged out of everyone and not department specific. So the mm. idea that they're saying is that it's possible that a certain segment of the company was particularly uh, affected, but mm. not other segment, other specific teams might not be right. So like this can speak to like the split where they've always, they've had the uh, remember me section of the, the studio and the uh, life is strange section of the studio. And those are the two kind of paths that run parallel through that uh, studios. Um, uh, uh, history, right? Um, and it's possible that one gets treated a little better because their games made more money out the gate than the others, right? Uh, more people, I feel like, talk about Life is Strange than they talk about Vampire, even though we got two Vampire stands on the podcast, <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, yeah, but. In yeah, the, in the though, general, Patrick, in the know. common consciousness, vampires are quiet. Vampires are quiet. We're being respectful. Right. <laughs> I feel like in the common, in like the more common consciousness, like Life is Strange looms much larger in people's estimation of what Don't Nod does, right? Um, and so it's entirely yeah. possible that some of those things are split down team, like team specific issues, right? Um, yeah, that's a good thing to point out. I mean, it also like kind of harkens back to, I mean, if, depending on your life experience, you may have like felt this at you know your own place of work or had peers where it's like there's that split even among like maybe friend groups or something on how you feel about your place of work based on Takato's point, like teams, like projects, um, or it reminds me of that joke from that really old joke from friends. Cause friends is like a kajillion years old at this point um, <laughs> with uh, Monica and Ross, their siblings and like the parents treat Ross really well and Monica really crummily. And she, and she turns to Ross and goes, I wish I had your parents. And that's kind of the thing that happens can happen at like a company where right. you'll be like, oh, yeah, I love it. It's great. I'm having. Yeah, so I could chill. It's like, really? It's like, no, they suck. What are you talking about? And again, like, obviously, in a way, like the, the worst part of you can be, you know, a reflection of maybe, you know, a, still an issue that needs to be addressed, even if it is a small slice. But that is how you can have that split and often do have that split. I think it's more likely than not. Um you know, in a, in, a, in the case of having like a company with multiple divisions, but yeah, I'm glad that you pointed that out, Kato. Yeah, but also like, man, places I've worked, if fifty percent, if only fifty percent disapprove of corporate strategy, uh, my God, uh, <laughs> yeah. we got we've got some master strategists there, uh, so they're really doing a great job doing internal sales. Here's, 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 the, here's the other. Also, don't really care about that stuff. Like, I don't know. I've I right. feel like I've known workers that are like, hey, man, I'm I'm getting a paycheck. I've been here for a minute. I'm getting exactly <laughs> like, like, I'm, like you know. feels pretty good to me. I don't know how right. y'all doing down there. You know, so oh, also, I don't know. Some people are, you know, yeah. They also mentioned only two thirds of the whole entire company responded, right? And then uh, uh, of yeah. those, that's what the percentage comes down. So it's even 
like you know you're not sure did that last one third is that all just corporate uh, the the c-suite that's not gonna fucking bother with the survey or is it other people who were too fucking busy doing work to stop Those and answer a survey right? scary, like, it's like they said it's anonymous but like who said they right, said right ah, <laughs> right know, you know and, i'm not sure and part of like, the yeah. part of the issue that they mentioned too it's just like there's no transparency in like any of that as far as like this is how the breakdown happens or necessarily, which is like hard to do, right? Cause you want it to be anonymous, but also you want to be able to study where the problem issues are. Um, yeah. Especially from a, like a worker, like that's like, Oh look, all these people are, all of these people are, are upset and we should figure out why and help them rather than like a nebulous 28% that may exist. However, they exist in the company. Right. Um, well, yeah, I mean, like this is it's it's one of those things where you know you you'd like more more data, uh, yeah. but it's, as, as smoking guns as smoking guns go, the data the data is the data uh, that mm. we that we have right now, uh, and so like from from that standpoint, like it it seems like a averagely unhappy place uh, to work, maybe right. better than better than average uh, overall, but it, it I am curious if it does break down either by like what your job is at the company or like if there are studios that are basically like, you know, if over there it's, you know, sunshine, rainbows, green fields. And over here it's like pouring rain, uh, you know, mud, who knows? But uh, yeah, it's, I, I think we're going to find out. Sword oh. and shield structure where that, yeah. open world, <laughs> that little open world backyard had like eight biomes inside of it. Uh, yeah, we're gonna find out a lot about. Uh, I think you know how how Don't Not is doing in the in in the coming in the coming months, uh, and also something that I would something I'll say about this. When I look at this, I come from an American background. Where the expectation is we're just gonna be miserable and beaten down by life yeah. and mm, work. Yeah. And the one French of the ways you different. don't end up in that place is by making like the French <laughs> and being yeah. like, I'm sorry, if twenty percent of my brethren are modestly unhappy at work, we need to burn <laughs> this gotta, place to the fucking ground. Fucking do something Hell about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little bit annoyed today. And I don't like it. <laughs> what can we do about that annoyance? <laughs> well, the the bus drivers are already barricading uh, the, the streets as yeah, we speak. Yeah, let's just fucking go, go out and join them, you know? We'll make some soup together. Yeah. It'll be fine. No coffee? Time to light this trash can on fire. Yeah. We can have a little bit of that energy in America, to be honest. Uh, anyway, so yeah, we'll, we should, uh, we should take a break cause there'll be one more news segment we're going to end up hitting, uh, t- tomorrow to, to dig into, um, to, to dig into the Xbox stuff. Uh, there was one really sad bit of news, uh, Patrick, uh, you want to just explain like who passed and yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Briefly just thought it was worth mentioning that, uh, especially given the fact that their, their final slash next game, uh, be coming out, uh, uh, sometime this year, but uh, yeah, the uh, the 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 scriptwriter on uh, or a scenario writer is how it's usually referred to in Japanese game development. Um, uh, Yoshitaka Murayama, uh, who handled the very well regarded Suikoden series, um, never had a chance to play those games, but I know they are like beloved by uh, people collecting what is it, 108 stars, I believe, is because uh, you could collect a bajillion characters in those games and. Uh, spiritual successor to Suikoden uh, is coming out uh, this year called uh, Uden Chronicle, 100 Heroes. Um, and uh, yeah, just passed away very suddenly. Not, you know, old, but not particularly old. Uh, we're not we're not sure of the circumstances, but thought it was uh, worth mentioning, given the fact that um, that series is so beloved and the fact that 
they had finished their work on this brand new Kickstarter uh, funded uh, kind of spiritual successor uh, is sad news. Uh, but uh, hopefully at the very least, you know, folks have a another game from this creator to look forward to, which is not always the case as we as we get older and more of these developers that we, you know, we all love are are going to to pass. That is the natural order of things. Um, but uh, I feel like we're I feel like we're getting very close to this tipping point in games where this is going to start happening. Like it's happened in like movies. Like I feel like every time there's like the Oscars in memoriam, I'm like, no, that wasn't, that wasn't all this year. I, not all those people. Um, and it feels like we're hitting that age with games pretty soon where, uh, that's, that's going to happen, happen pretty soon. So, you know, RIP and, uh, hoping for the best for, for the new game as well. All right, and uh, we will take a quick break and be back to discuss the games we've been playing after this. One of the most normal morning routines is a bowl, some milk, some cereal. What changes as you get older is you might want to modify what you're putting into that bowl with the milk. If you suddenly want to cut back on sugar, you want to add more protein, you're thinking about fitness goals, but you don't want to give up the deliciousness of what you're putting in that bowl, you might want to think about Magic Spoon. Uh, Because with Magic Spoon, you get all those flavors you love, high protein, less sugar, and as someone with kids, the idea that I can show them that these cereals can have all of these things and you can think about what's in your body every morning seems really good. Magic Spoon comes in a variety pack of four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs. Only 140 calories a serving, it's high protein, has zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy free and look you put peanut butter in anything i'm there which is why that's my favorite one and i'm hiding it from my children you can go to magicspoon.com remap to grab a variety pack and try it today and be sure to use our promo code remap at checkout to save five dollars off your order and magic spoon is so confident in their product it's backed with a 100 happiness guarantee so if you don't like it for any reason they'll refund your money no questions asked Remember, start the new year off right with a delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash remap and use the code REMAP to save $5 off. Thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. Hey, REMAP Radio listeners. Rob here. You know, the time was I'd come up with a meal plan for the entire week, and then I'd trawl through the grocery stores making sure I had everything I needed right on budget to make those home-cooked meals. Unfortunately, times have changed, and speaking of time, I don't have quite as much of it as I used to. You know, there's a podcast empire to be overseen. But I can't just order fast food and pizza delivery every night. My budget, and unfortunately, my increasingly delicate stomach won't allow it. Fortunately, for folks in the same boat as me, there's Factor. Factor gives you 35 options each week to make meal planning easy. And not just for dinner. They have breakfast foods and snacks covered as well. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. But it's just as convenient delivering the food you need right to your door. And now, if you head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off, that's, right, that's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. 
And now you can head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off. That's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. And we're back, and we're dropping from orbit uh, to spread the blessings of managed democracy around the around the galaxy. Uh, we've all been playing a bit of Helldivers, the uh, first really surprise hit of 2024, it feels like. Uh, Did you already delete Pal World from your brain? Jesus Christ. That's, you know, that's a great point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Oh fuck! I got yeah. First surprise game that you like of 2024 yeah. might be uh, more more appropriate, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I guess for me it's like the, maybe the biggest mismatch between like I don't know like it, expect. I feel like Hell Divers Two was easy to have some measured expectations about like what it was going to turn out to be, and mm. this seems to be far in excess of that. Uh, but either way, yeah. So we've we've all been playing a bit of uh, Hell Divers Two. Which again used to be a twin stick shooter, uh, multiplayer shooter, uh, very much in tonally in the vein of Verhoeven's uh, Starship Troopers. Now it is a uh, more traditional, like uh, you know, third person shooter, and it is both wildly successful out of the gate and also understandably so because it has been a blast. Uh, Janet, I think you were you were playing it last night. You were sending us screenshots of of how things how things were going. I think you said you're like you're not a huge shooter person, right? No, I am not a huge shooter person. I'm curious, I, I, like, to what degree has it gotten its fangs into you, and what's what's working for you here that like a lot of other shooters miss? Yeah, I went into this like very skeptically and very like not a little begrudgingly. I think you know I tried to hit up a lot of the um, whatever is like you know hot in the streets for like the week just to stay in touch with like what's going on with some exceptions. Like if I'm really not like a fighting game, I'm not really going to pick up. Cause I'm like, I can have nothing to say about this. So I jumped in and I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know we're, we're playing this. Like I didn't even have a squad when I tried it out. So I was just going solo. And I think the thing that really sticks out for me is the tone and just the energy that it exudes in terms of the world that they've constructed, which is very, you know, over the top sort of sarcastic kind of in that fallout, poorly kind of energy of video game humor and I think it captures it really well um and it really like sticks with you even just from that tutorial like I feel like if you know obviously you'd have to like buy the game or whatever because I don't think there's any demos out for it but just from that moment I'm like oh this game's awesome and I love when a game can like have that instant hook um one thing that stood out in that little tutorial section too was they had the you know like how to use your how to heal like how to use your little was it stim packs or stem packs and it's like just up on the D-pad on console. And to, to to teach you how to heal, they have you step up to a machine, you interact with it, and it stabs you in the stomach, and then you have to then heal. And I'm like, oh, this is so, like, just in it being able to take, I think one of the most generally dull gaming experiences is those tutorial areas. It's a lot of like, yeah, yeah, I know what you're doing here. Cool. Let me get to it. Let me read past it. Then be confused and complain that I'm confused. Like, that's the energy I think a lot of players default approach tutorial areas with. What is this and how do I get out of it as soon as possible? Um, and I think its ability to make that fun was really cool. And the other standout for me is just the ways that I think it 
is unafraid to create light friction, you know, and moving through the terrain and like having to, you know, you don't reload all the time because your ammo matters. Like those little bits have enough intrigue where it's like, okay, for me, a lot of these like live service shootery games, it's a lot of it's something to do. Parenthetical, eh, you know, negative. Like, something to do is fun. <laughs> something like, to do oh yeah, something to do. Like, <laughs> exactly. I'm out there doing. Oh uh, yeah, derogatory. Uh, or like a po- people say, like describe it in a different yes. way, like a podcast game. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just here, yeah, to grind through seven episodes of this, like, like uh, this narrative podcast. Exactly, and that can be good or bad. And I feel like this lands on the side of good because there is more going on, there is more to pay attention to, and there's stuff to actually think about and strategize on and like collaborate with other people. So I think all of those things are what's spoken to me about that loop of hell divers. Now, hopefully they add in some good cosmetics so I can have a reason to like, you know, I like the carrot on the stick and right now the carrots like, Oh, the suit is white and it's puffy looking. So I can look like a little kid going to school in the wintertime, but I'm hoping they'll jazz it up a bit. But um, yeah, that's what really has stood out to me. But what about y'all? How's uh, your experience been, you know, jumping in for the first time? I, I speaking to one of the things that you mentioned, I was, I was like legitimately surprised when I walked through a bush and I started to slow down. Like what bushes are cosmetic in video games that look like (laughs) this, right? Like this is not supposed to be actual terrain that impacts the way that I play. But then I had to start like avoiding that shit because there's a lot of time you spend fucking running, like putting space between yourself and the things running at you, um, which has been, uh, you know, it it makes it more interesting, right? Like the, 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 all of the like you were mentioning all the little friction points that exist uh keep make it like one extra like step to like uh one extra thing to keep track of but it never i feel like it never gets truly overwhelming is the thing like they they've they've hit a really good balance of like oh i should know that these things are happening around me and they're all kind of happening at the same time but it's not so overwhelming that it's frustrating right like if 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 things uh if too much is happening you you definitely end up crossing a line where it's like well what could i have a what could i have even done right um and i I think the um the choice to make uh the uh the the powers that you use not just you hit a button but you have to stop for a second input a stupid little (laughs) like up up down down left right uh code it's just like that one extra step makes it exciting when you do it in a in a hairy situation right but um also yeah, when you're running away from an enemy yeah. and you need to revive your friend and you just like prone yourself on the other side input the code to have dodged out of the laser long enough to do five inputs <laughs> yeah. toss that in and then you die in the process but you've managed to like get your friend out of the way so they can then revive you yeah. There is there is a a level a line of tension this game a line of controlled chaos this game rides that is really difficult to describe except to experience it in the moment like there was a there was a sequence where uh, we played uh, recently uh, on stream where we're like we got twenty minutes we I see that gold shiny light in the distance let's let's go let's go get it and then we spent five to seven minutes just trying to leave this landing zone <laughs> before we all realized. Fuck. I still think we could have made like, it. Like the game nailed us. Like we can't, <laughs> like we have the time to get there, but the amount of time we're going to take care of these. And let's just, let's just get out of here. Let's just get out of yeah. here. Or there was a sequence where when Rob and I streamed it, I mean, 
We ran across half the map, dying along the way, sprinting away from these horrifying chainsaw-wielding robots. God. And then we get to the landing zone. We have no more lives left and, like, running out of supplies. And we just managed to eke our way onto that escape and, and get out of there. And this game, more frequently than not, puts you in situations where you go, I wonder how I could I, – I think we could have done a little bit more. And you probably couldn't have. You probably actually couldn't have done more, but you feel that way. And it does so in a way that doesn't feel frustrating. It doesn't feel like it is. There's just, it's, it's, it's doing something really special in particular that uh, I think would be very easy to get wrong, but it nails it exactly right. Um, You always feel like you're on the edge of losing and then win but not win by as much as you wish you could have. Right. And that is a very cool place to feel. It's one of those things where, like, to me, it just feels so beautifully tuned on so many different fronts. Like, uh, the fact that the weapons feel good enough, but not so powerful that, like, they overshadow the calldowns at all. Like, your guns are, you have okay guns, but they're not the heavy hardware. The, the the real thing you're bringing down there is the ability to call down orbital strikes, which, and again, cool little things. The fact that you can always see your, your battleships floating above and firing down is the closest thing I've ever played, like being in a StarCraft cutscene, right? Where it's <laughs> like you are, you are down there and then you're able to like wield the fist of God to bring it down on, uh you know, waves of bugs or, or robots. And then they are so numerous, that's probably not enough. And it's so chaotic that that might be more dangerous to your teammates than it is to, to, to the enemy. And, and so like that, that mix of everyone has access. And I think this is the real insight. Like it was the thing I've been racking my brain about is like, why this game and not that starship troopers game that I think the the squad devs made. Why this game and not that one. And I think part of it is because like the squad lineage is hardcore military sim type stuff. And Mm -hmm. like they went for, they're going to make it feel you were, on, you were on a huge battlefield with tons of other players doing Starship Trooper stuff. And what you can do individually in one place is pretty limited. You're a small part of a much bigger battle. And that's a cool game. And, it, you know, I think it was, it was doing okay. But why is this the one that I'm, like, playing in my off time and not when, like, we're, we're streaming it for a GeForce Now stream? And the difference is because, like, this gives you so many more fun toys. Everyone mm-hmm. on the squad gets to be like, uh, guys, I'm, I'm just going to call down another nuke right now. Another one? Yeah, the game doesn't limit you know, how many <laughs> nukes you can call. Just, just call down more. Uh, call down more orbital strikes. Call in more strafing runs. Just, you know, just just do it. And and you, you need to. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> now, the mines, the mines are a different question. The mines I, are a little more look, complicated. Okay. I love the We're mine. learning a lot. Lethal Company <laughs> Helldivers. As someone put it in the chat. We're learning a lot about Kato's fear reactions in these <laughs> in these streams. Oh, look, sometimes you just need to cover everything in explosives. You know, sometimes the you bugs just... crave the mines. Yeah. is the line that I kept repeating <laughs> to my partner. Um, I this is the only game where, and you know, I'm sure there's other games that do this well, but like this is the only game where I enjoy the existence of friendly fire because as much as it kind of <laughs> is another challenge but at the same time like it creates those moments there's just enough doofiness yeah mixed in with the seriousness of like the well the over-the-top seriousness of the tone and like kind of the general mechanics because this is like a you know 
realistic-ish looking game. You know, it's it's more of that realism and not cartoon. And it is that in so much of the setting. But then every now and then, like a charger, like we started finding the chargers last night, like the giant bugs, they'll rush towards you and you're kind of ragdoll, just, just so <laughs> hop into the distance in a way that yeah. just adds that smidge of humor. But um, yeah, love the mines. I don't know if there's, you know, I'm still working through unlocking all the different equipment, which is a lot of equipment to unlock. So we'll see mm. how that goes. But the mines are one of my favorites because also, you know, again, I don't have a shooter background. I'm not great, you know, at gunplay. So I'm like, okay, I can put down a bunch of mines. And I love the mines because it's such a, they're so effective, but it's such a scene of having to like, again, court, like, it's a game where you really are forced to coordinate with your partners, but not so much that you feel like you can't have your own autonomy. Like I can be doing my you own. Should thing. coordinate with your partners. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like it's <laughs> it's not like you know. There's multiplayer games where it's like okay, well you have to turn. I mean, this has like a to open a door, hit it at the same time. But it's not as much as you're turning your key so I can do my thing. It's, hey, I'm going to do this to help the group, us as a pair. You're doing other things. Keep in mind what I have going. You know, you throw the mines down. And I'm like, hey, watch out. A bunch of mines are coming out right now. And then I, I also love that that can work in on itself against you because it'll get mm-hmm. to that point where it's like, oh, well, there's like three mines left. I spawned on the mine. Now I'm on fire. Like, <laughs> there's just enough of that that adds like fun and playfulness and goofiness to the situation. But there's not so much of that that it feels like, well, now I'm just getting like fucked over by my bu- bullshit of my own making that the game allowed for me to do. Like, I think it has that that perfect in between. Again, the, the minds are great. Well, it very rarely gives you a situation where like you can see the enemies coming from a mile away. It does feel like ranges are longer with the with the robots because like it's a those are shooter levels. Basically, the enemy yeah. shoots back. But one thing they do a lot of is. To get like because the the path the enemies take is going to be converging on you and trying to break up your squad's cohesion. There's not a lot of upside in calling down strikes really far from you. You know, you're going to get the most out of the minefield if it's right up close to the perimeter you all want to defend. You're going to get the (laughs) most out of the orbital strike if it's like right in the face of the enemy, but also right in your face. And so you have four people now all making those decisions all of them with any one of them would be an ultimate in a, you know, in a MOBA, for example, yeah. like most of these yeah. things would be yeah. like, everyone has like a roster of like three different alts and like, uh, you know, four different E powers effectively that are all on yeah. different cooldowns. And to your point, Janet, like if you just like, are like, I'm going to like totally lean in the whole, like playing the strategically, I'm going to be like, you know, keeping an eye on the big picture here using my call downs with the way the cooldown cycle, you can play that role to an extent. You you can sort of like treat yourself as like you're playing a shooter second, but the the primary yeah. thing you're playing is like kind of a real time uh, yeah. game. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, what was that? That one game where one person would be like on an iPad calling things down or some shit. The division. That was, the, that was the vision. <laughs> yeah. That oh my god! Vision. But like, yeah, the idea that you but this like, game on the, Wii U would oh my god, god <laughs> damn, god damn! <laughs> but like, yeah, like you're pointing out though, even without having that separate screen experience, a player can fit into that sort of like yeah. role, like just kind of by because of the way that it, everyone's powers are kind of available to everyone. It seems like you basically make this shared pool from all your stratagems. 
Uh, I think there's one or two that are specific are, are less are more specific, but for the most part, if you have a stratagem and somebody else has it, you just you're just upping the amount of times you can use it in a mission. Resupply. Yeah, let's throw down th- a couple turrets. Yeah. <laughs> resupply is a shared resource, which I found like, yeah. boy, if your team is not courting resupplies. Yeah. Like I was playing with some randos and made some interesting <laughs> discoveries last night. First, uh-huh. Patrick and I started playing just the two of us. And mm-hmm. that game felt very easy until we pushed it pretty far. Uh-huh. Even the like baby difficulty with four people not really coordinating got hairy at points just because like, <laughs> oh, like the group kind of wandered off and like got into just enough trouble because you're you're treating it contemptuously because it's a low difficulty setting. Right. Where like suddenly it's like, well, all of us are all now fighting like full scale engagements and like it's getting <laughs> a little it's getting a little dicey. <laughs> And this is no, vo- you have no voice, like you're not talking to anyone, right? It's I mean, all I could have talked to people, but or... I wasn't going to talk to people. I yeah. was, was... Okay. So were, were they talking to each other? Everyone had their mic muted is what I saw. <laughs> like, okay. Everyone... I was just trying to get a sense of like, yeah. how, like, cause this, this game has emotes. And right. good, good call really out t- things. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't like yes. it was shittier people, but like two people were out there looking for fights and <laughs> kept calling down the resupply thing. And then me and one other person like person tended to be like sort of trying to bail them out when things would get hairy. And then we go like clear an objective and we were doing a lot of call down stuff. And so when we finally ran out of ammunition, they had been through like three resupply shuttles uh, by the time that we ran out. And so we were solidly empty and we had like two minutes before a resupply shuttle was, was available. And that was a long two minutes. It was a like, Oh, I now need to like, Single shot pistol, these guys. Like, I can't miss any more shots. The other thing I found, I did not realize that, like, when you call in a jet strike, a strafing run, the game has, like, there's a jet that flies overhead. And if you're in, like, craggy, rocky canyon areas, like where bugs hang out, Mm. it will just bounce off the walls of the canyon. Like, there is no magic, <laughs> like, oh, your jet strike will always land where you point it. Uh-huh. No, you will watch the missiles and gunfire streak in, hit the wall of the canyon above you, and leave the bugs completely untouched. Uh, which I love. Oh, it's that's the, awesome. Like, yeah. Like, no, like, of course it would work that way. Like, yeah. it's, you know, the, the, the walls aren't going to be transparent to, to a jet. But most games, that's going to be a magic call down power where you have an mm-hmm. animation yeah. that's kind of detached from how the, the effect works out. Right. And here it's like, nope, that thing flies overhead. It fires the shots from this angle. Hope it works out for you. Shame if it doesn't. Uh, I, w- I was so thrilled uh, when, when I called down an airstrike and it completely whiffed. And I was like, well, I guess we got we, we to gotta just tough this out. Yeah, even just the fact that your stratagems, which, you know, are your, like, kind of special abilities, essentially, if you're you know not familiar with the in-game terminology, um, that they all appear as little orbs that you throw down, which normally works out, like, 80% of the time, mm-hmm. but the other 20%, they, like, ricochet into a really inopportune spot. Um, I think especially because there is that mix of, you know, your those abilities can be things like the, you know, missile strike that you described, Rob, but they can also just be, like, a little vat that has like your guns in it. I think too, like to what Kata brought up with the, like the bushes and kind of everything to a degree, having like a purpose in the game, but not like so simmy that it feels like you're just, you know, going too far into realism. You know, that was kind of my beef with like red dead too. I'm like, we went too far. I don't want to close every drawer. I'm tired, (laughs) you know? So I think this toes that line in a really fun way, but even just having like, 
I kept using this sort of rocket launcher. It comes down. There's like two, one on each side. Um, I didn't realize until last night because I hadn't faced larger enemies that enemies can just like charge through that. And then the guns just kind of like fall randomly on the ground. And it's like, okay, well, I'm not (laughs) sure what I'm going to do now when I'm going to get back to that. Um, But that's not something that like I was expecting. And I I think generally I really enjoy, I think especially, you know, this far into gaming as a hobby, what it's been like 25 years or so now of playing video games. I love when I can still be surprised by things. And obviously some of that is veering out into different genres. That's why I try to play a bit of everything to kind of expand my pool of that background. But that's such a like a delightful, cool thing. And I feel like this game is sort of full of that um, in, you know, getting more environments, getting more enemies, going up on the like the difficulty. I think there's a nice spread of getting new stuff without necessarily being introduced to new mechanics, which I think is a little bit of a rarity in games. Yeah, I think there I've heard there are some mechanics we haven't seen that are like you get deeper into the game. There's there's more stuff. But uh, and that's something else I should emphasize here. We've played up to the third difficulty level we played on medium there or, are or like nine just, uh, we, we're level we're level five right like that that reflects like the amount of like time yeah that, robin yeah. you and i played the most like so it's like we're at like six yeah, Patrick, six-ish hours there of are nine time. level what we have yeah. seen there yeah. are six Nothing. ratchets left yeah up the difficulty ladder, I think. Jesus, where I think this one game is No, Kato and I are going to see it. Yeah, Kato, are we going to see it? We're going to the end. <laughs> yeah, we're going to see it. Oh my god, uh, straight to oh, the roof. Okay, all right, me. All right, I'm going to write that one down. <laughs> this is the, uh, check in on that one in a month from this now. This is. The, I just need. I just need people to, to like. This is. I've never played game. I haven't played games with my friends in ages. I'm like too hard to schedule with, and I'm just like, eh, I'll just play single player games. And now this is the first time, basically since like Left for Dead, where I'm like, I just want to. <laughs> Is it still okay just to hop into random friends' games when you see them playing? Like, I feel like you know, ten years ago, I just be like, "Hey, bro, what's up?" Like, what's I'm up? here to How's it going? here to help the gang like finish this. Uh, the like, democracy. Has Rob, we were waiting for Joe to show up. Like, you got to pre-schedule this shit. We're yep. in our thirties. <laughs> yep. And I'm just like, "Hey, hey, dude, how, what's up? Just saw you were fighting some automatons. I'm I'm here to help. Yeah, and I don't want to get bounced or be humiliated. Uh, but like, so there's there's way more that this game can sort of ask you in terms of coordination. What's kind of cool is like there's a lot of these games where I feel, especially on the lower difficulty levels, um, they're just not that interesting. I think the the new, what is it, Dark Tide? Uh, the 40K uh, game that came mm-hmm. out like last year. I like that game a lot, but like I think the problem is there's a lot of games where it's like we're just going to have waves of like trash mobs running at you and you lean on the trigger and you kill them and occasionally you fight a boss fight. But the lower difficulty levels, that shit is not interesting. It's like you have this jump where you have to play it seriously with people who are you know, probably be a little bit overbearing in how you're supposed to approach it because you're not allowed to like discover anything, uh, you know, on these multiple runs through the level. Or it's going to be like so trivial that like getting to that point where you can take part in the higher level stuff is boring. I think what's kind of interesting to me here is that like, again, even playing with randos in the lowest difficulty, it was interesting. Playing just with Patrick on a medium difficulty was like pulse pounding and the enemy behaviors are interesting. The automatons are such a different threat profile than, than the bugs that it's like, this is a game that I don't feel like, 
well, you got to grind a bit before you get into the real game. And I think there's a lot of games like this that have sort of adopted that model that maybe we associate with live service games a little bit, which is the like, well, the real game is past all this intro boring shit. And then you start like, you know, ratcheting up the the difficulty and like throwing modifiers at yourself and basically turning every play session to a little like mini raid night. And here I'm like, it don't got to be a raid night. I've got an hour before bed. I'm just going to play with some randos. And yeah, <laughs> let's just let's just strike some bugs. I was thinking just it's such a funny game. I've seen people talking about like, you know, how could for how could people like this is the best 40K game ever made, which is true. But I think the thing is like 40K has satirical elements, but it takes itself way too seriously to actually like play that shit up. It's too like it, like like yes, there's there are darkly humorous parts of the 40k universe, but also it like it also loves its own bullshit. Yes, this is Verhoeven Starship Troopers, and the entire thing is like over the top and like landing on the right side of comical. From the opening cutscene where a dude who looks suspiciously suspiciously like Jeff Keeley watches his family get eviscerated <laughs> in front of him by bugs and then is transformed by a series of cuts into a hell diver. And the <laughs> little videos you get on the way of like this vestigial notion that you're out there fighting for this like American dream ass like way of life with the, you know, fen- you know, the white picket fence yard and the, the, you know, the two car garage. But then like everything in the game indicates that like to protect this glorious way of life, the children must become hell divers. Why aren't the <laughs> children learning to defend freedom? Uh, and so you have all these great like little glimpses into who the hell creates a force like the hell divers. There was that amazing thing where it was talking about like <laughs> the kids rescuing, rescuing their presence from the gift pyre or something well, like that. You, instead of you Christmas. rescue the presents. They're like, help like get the, the presents for the children. They're on fire and you grab the present and the present's still on fire. You hand it to the kid. They open it up. It's a helmet to join the hell divers. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh. Yeah. It's, it's just it's just incredible stuff, uh, you know, where it's just the most like brain dead people uh, just like hitting everything with a nuke. And by the way, the, the meta game of this, I'm convinced now the opening arc of this game is them losing the war. Every yeah. time I log in, the alien sectors are creeping closer and closer to Earth and Mars. And like people are running a lot of missions. Again, this game is a huge hit. Right. The meta structure of the game is that Super Earth is getting its ass kicked. And so I'm actually kind of tuning into this like, damn, this this life service thing is getting to me because I'm like, yeah, I think they're going to lose this war. I'm kind of curious what that's going to look like. I think we're going to be fighting that, on Mars. Mm-hmm. That aspect, too, where it feels like, you know, and obviously every live service game and every game in general will have like a different angle to what it's doing. But I think it does a really good job at having community within the gameplay in a way that I haven't personally experienced. Like I really like Fortnite and I've had a lot of fun with Fortnite and Fortnite does have like meta. And then we have like the event and we all go and we go to space and then we're in Lego or whatever. But like, frankly, I don't know, maybe I'm not tuned in enough, but I don't really like, I don't feel like when I'm playing Fortnite, I'm like working towards, you know, a larger narrative or goal. I think the narrative kind of runs under the hood of all that stuff. And it's like a fun fact if you're into the why, you know, 
the beach looks different than it did before and it's from eight seasons ago, if you know, right? Like, versus yeah. this is very front-facing. Like, you see how many bullets have been fired. Like, what's the terrain like? Like, have we taken over the sector? And, like, it has yeah. that aspect to it immediately, which I guess speaks to kind of, like, to your point, Rob, the idea of a lot of these games you need to put in a lot of time to start to reap the rewards. And I feel like the rewards are right there. They hand you the flaming presence of the hell diver yeah. helmet. And I'm, I'm putting that shit on and I'm like, all right, let's go. Well, cause a lot of times the surface level content is just not that interesting. I think the problem mm. like facing a team, like the people who made dark tide, each of those is a bespoke level. Creating a level like that is really hard. Hell, hell divers is like, it's a battlefield. It's open world. Here's some rocks. Here's a cool biome. That's not to trivialize what they've done. They're really interesting battlefields, but it's you can not. Fall into those holes, by the way, I fell into one the other day. <laughs> it's down there. Just instant death. You just yes, instant death. It would have been cool if there's some, maybe they put some down there later. But I fell in. It said I was eliminated by G ninety four, like myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think we'll be checking in a bit more on this. Kato, you and me, like we're gonna be. I don't know. Maybe we'll have some more fire teams uh, going. But like we gotta, we we gotta see. Uh, we gotta see what awaits on the harder difficulty levels. Uh, we we gotta see. We gotta we gotta we have to defend super. Gotta once spread the fight democracy harder. <laughs> yeah, we're just if we're losing, it's just it's it's because, you know, Kato, I'll bet it's because we're being stabbed in the back by people back home. I'll bet it's their fault. that wow, we're not, yeah, they're not they're not <laughs> rescuing presents from the gift pyre hard enough. Uh, Patrick, you and I have also been playing uh, Don't Nod's latest uh, Banishers. Yes. Ghost of, of New Eden. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the I don't know if this is ex- explicitly the vampire team, but feels like it is following the the remember me to vampire to now banishers go soon to eat in track of don't nod getting uh, popularized amongst a lot of people for making a queer teen sci fi romance game. Um, and then it was like, but no, but like we're actually out here making strange third Gothic person historical dramas guy, guy, yeah 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 um and so banishers goes to me is very much in the in the spirit of that um and is also a, a story about ghosts the i've <laughs> probably played quite a bit more of this than than you have rob i have I, I i finished the first major area of the game i have fought a creature called the beast um that'll make a little more sense to you if you end up uh continuing to play the game the way i would describe Banisher's Ghost of New Eden is, in some ways, it's budget God of War. Um, it's chasing God of War, the the reboot. Um, that is that is structurally how this game is set up. It's how it's combat in in many ways. It is is chasing that. Um, that that is the closest comparison I can make from a like structural point of view like what is what is this game chasing after it's going after the the most recent um uh, god of war uh reboot um but doesn't have the, re- the same resources doesn't have the same combat depth doesn't have uh the same budget um and so what does it have in its place uh well the the, the basic story is you are to banishers uh who are essentially folks that are are can tap into whatever is on the other side of the veil um, and are able to either ascend or banish spirits that I've not been able to head to the other side. Um, And sometimes that's to help people resolve, you know, (laughs) relationship problems they had that they can't let go of. Um, Or it can be, you know, a a malevolent spirit 
uh, that is that is haunting. Like basically, like some of the the world building of Banishers is if you do not head to whatever is near the other side, you can stick around, you can haunt, but eventually you will become like a malevolent, uh, horrible spirit. Uh, as like you will just be corrupted by sticking that's around. That's just bi- that's just what like, Big Banishing wants you to think. <laughs> I can keep my ghost wife with me forever. Wow. Well, and we'll get into some of the meta structure of this game that is that is kind of interesting. Um, uh, sh- uh, sh- uh, you know, shortly, and these two banishers that come to to the new world. Um, you know, to newly, uh, uh, or, or rather, like the ongoing colonization of 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 the United States, uh, and uh, what will become, I suppose. Uh, and you're there to help with a town that is dealing with a really uh, terrible haunting that is called the nightmare. Um, you, uh, you're, you know, you're a couple, uh, spoilers for the very early game, but like your partner dies. Um, and the kind of the big hook of this game going forward is that, well, they've died, but they become a ghost. And as a ghost, you can now swap between these two characters. And that, that is something you can do in real time in combat. That is something you can do in real time in exploration. And you can kind of tap into these different power sets uh, as as a result. It's kind of uh, like they're playing Marvel sort of the, for the rest of eternity, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And, you know, like that, that can, you know, that can be stuff that happens very quickly where, like, I have a, uh, a uh, mechanic in combat where uh, I can do light attacks three times. And then if I swap to the uh to, to the other character to to the ghost uh Antea. you that like Antea, yes and red is the, the the other main character you uh you do like a really powerful attack that like can break a block and uh that is some of the dynamic that that's happening here but rob this game starts so excruciatingly slow um and i have played probably 10 hours of it and the game says i've completed 7% which and I'm not being a completion at least about it, which gives me a sense that this game is very big, very long. Um, and I don't know that it's to the game's benefit is, is the sense that I have at the pace that I've made it through the game so far, but I, I don't know where you're at with it quite yet. Yeah. I think so. Unsurprisingly, um, as you might expect from the team that like, you know, substantially did vampire, I'm kind of here for the vibes and yep. I'm getting vibes are the good. Vibes are good. They're creepy. It's spooky. It's haunted. It's haunted New England. Uh, you know, the, like I'm getting that stuff from it, but I can't stress enough. Like you've played more and I'm hoping it gets to this point. Maybe it's just been a minute since I played vampire uh, or vampire. And like I had, I remember kind of digging the combat there. You know, it was like souls like Mm -hmm. it was really more Assassin's Creed uh, boss battle like style was was kind of what they were going for there. I remember that being like serviceable. It was fine. Uh, In the tutorial here, the first encounter you have is just a ghostly silhouette of a dude. He just beat the shit out of you. Just right, right bumper, just bam, bam, bam. And then right trigger heavy attack. And these guys don't put up any fight. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, the like the first encounter, I was like, oh, shit. I don't know how I keep playing this game. And that's what, when MK was watching with me, she was immediately like, I thought it was funny that they started you out by default on story on story difficulty. That like when you hmm. when you hit launch new game, it's, it's pre-selected story. And hmm. like now I'm kind of wondering, is that kind of them being like, listen, 
game has combat because like you kind of expect games to have combat, but like we didn't really nail this game it. has a lot of combat. We didn't really nail it. Like, but this game, but this game has a ton of combat. Um, like, does it, it get better? Because like, it's, dude, it's I'm yes, okay. it does get better. But this is this is part of my issue with it is that I have spent a not insubstantial amount of time with the game, and it is only now do I have access to a gun. Do I have access to uh, mid combo attacks that uh, are 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 encouraging me to swap between both of the characters uh, in which uh, like you uh, what's the what's the the girl's name again? Uh, Antea. Uh, Ange- uh, Antea. She starts with jack shit to do like the game is like, you know, it's cool. Like you can swap to her and she can do some punching. Well, crucially, and that's it. Enemies that are so living beings that are possessed by a ghost, it's like mm-hmm. supercharged. And you need Antea yes. to punch that ghost right out of that monster so that Red can like beat the shit out of uh yeah. the physical manifestation. Like, yeah, like and and yes, all that stuff is really neat ideas that are getting more interesting okay. as I'm progressing. But it is taking its sweet ass time to unlock mechanics in the skill tree to give me the items that like just give you different things to do on a uh, like second to second basis in combat encounters like where I'm at I'm not necessarily going to say it's as good as a god of war or it's as good as like a soul style game which at times it feels like it's chasing some of that stuff as well the you are not here for the combat Um, the combat is getting better maybe that combat gets transformatively interesting as it goes along I'm doubtful. Like Vampire didn't get there either. Like remember me was not that as well. That's not the strength of like this side of don't nod. I don't know what the team construct is. So I don't want to ascribe too much of it as like, these are the same creatives going across this trilogy of games. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm mostly just pointing to a through line of a certain style of game that don't nod has been working on for like the past, you know, 10, 15 years that these games follow a track of. What was interesting to you and I about Vampire was the systems. Flawed systems as they may be. That game had a really like interesting idea that you were managing sort of like the status of different districts within this area. I forget exactly yeah. what you were managing. Do you like remember the specifics levels, yeah. more? Yes, yes. And it was just a kind of fascinating meta layer on top of what was happening on, on the moment to moment stuff. And like the individual quests in that game were interesting. Well, like it was the a better well-written you got to know game, someone, like, the more delicious they were to eat. Correct. <laughs> correct. Yes. There was that mechanic as well. That was happening. It was, a, it was a game. It was a, it was not a great game, but it was a really interesting game. And I, I recommended it to people if they were willing. You know what? what? By the standards of all the games you could play, it's a great game. Like it's one of those. It's one of those I, things I, where I think it's it's like when you stand back. I think a lot of times at the at the moment we're like, well, it's a value proposition. I don't know. Is it great? Uh-huh. I don't know. It's good. And with the vantage of time, it's like, man, that was fucking great. That was a right. <laughs> that was a memorable. This time. is why you and I are yep. always being like, where's the seat? Where's the yep. sequel to that game? Um, and here, um, again, the combat is not best in class. I think it's getting better. But the the question in front of you is how much are like the vibes are fun. Like I like the ghost stories. Like the writing is strong. The voice acting is strong. I think the two main characters are. It's interesting. sad as fuck. I like the bleak. Oh, uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't get better. Like all the quests are just. Well, here's some horrible shit that happened to some people. Want to learn more about it? Um, and one of the one of the core bits of this game, 
I'm going to spoil a little bit more about the meta structure. If you're uninterested, skip ahead. But, you know, she dies at the beginning of the game. And then what's proposed to you in one of the first quests is, hey, there's a dark ritual. You could bring her back. And what's happening at the end of like uh, both major and minor quest lines in Banished is you can you're basically dealing with a ghost that can't move on and uh, someone among the living dealing with the haunting of that ghost. And at the end, you can uh, ascend or banish. And I don't understand the complete world building of like this. Like, what does it mean to ascend or banish? But you can also kill the living. And if you kill the living you can extract their essence, collect enough of it, and bring back your beloved. And the game tells you from the start, you, if you make this choice, the only way to bring back your beloved is to kill every motherfucker you find throughout the rest of the game. You are choosing at the start to commit to a path that like, every quest you come across no matter how you feel morally about who was right, who was wrong, this haunting, what happened here before, you will extract the essence because what you want to do is bring back your beloved. Or you can do what I've been doing was I decided to not go down that path was like you're making moral choices on uh, uh, like you're like you're spending a lot of detective work to unpack like what happened here, like listening to ghost memories. And it's like, hey do you think this person was an asshole? And most of the time, everybody's an asshole. And then it's just degrees of like, which asshole side do you want to take? There, again, there's some really fun, good, st like strong writing that's happening here. And it's what's going to probably keep me pushing through the game more so than the combat, which is maybe an argument for the story stuff, except for the fact that there's so much combat. And so don't you want that combat to be, yeah. have a little more pushback on the player? I don't know. <clears throat> I can maybe report back on that further, but like that meta structure is interesting. The uh, the ascent or banish, like the cho the choices you're making at the ends of some of these quest lines are really good. Like your main characters are often sitting, like uh, acting as sort of audience surrogates to, like to, like angel and a devil on your shoulder to ex explain like different perspectives on the different characters that you're meeting. It's just it's got a lot of the stuff that I love in this style of game that Don't Nod makes once every five years. My main problem with it is I don't think this needed to be a 70-hour game. Yeah. And what I'm staring down the barrel of is like a, if I'm mainlining it, it's probably still a 40-hour game. I don't want to mainline it because what I'm here for is the writing and the quests. And that means I'm staring at a 60-hour game yeah. that I think should have probably been about half of that. Um, and, and whether it's able to maintain my interest in the writing is, is something that I'm just going to have to invest more time in to, to report back. on. Yeah. I think uh, like, I don't even gotten to the quests that like, you know, I am really curious how I've seen some write-ups of like a quest revolving uh, around a woman who was a slaveholder. And there's kind of a like, mm -hmm. but I was a good slaveholder. I was really, I was so sweet. I was like really cool to my slaves. Uh, like, curious right when you get to the beast when you get to yeah. a quest about the beast it'll make sense but I'll, like you'll immediately know it's it's what like the a really major quest line that that happens in the in the early arc of the game the resolution the options you get to at the end are they're tough yeah. like I, I i was so curious to know who you ended up aligning with 
Um, because like where like the uh, the, what the options it gives in front of you are not they're not clean. Like they're just they're just not. And like I'm hoping the game remains that messy. It also doesn't shy away from you know like. A lot of queer romances out here. Again, like the, I'm the good guy, slave old. Like it's that's the shit I'm yeah. here for. Is like like that. That's the like what I want out of like what is often happening in this style of don't nod game. Um, and this game seems to be full of it. Yeah. Um, I just don't know if the structure that it's in is ne- is like is is going to support it, except for like sickos like you or me who are like, yeah fine like it's like I'll, I'll slog through this to get to the bits that the bits that i want i just think this one so far is proving to maybe be a harder recommend because of the sheer breadth of of, of the game but i'm i'm hoping the combat's going to improve as i yeah as i go deeper. well i think you know vampire is kind of a cozy game in a lot of ways it's bleak but like you got your coworkers you're tight with. You you know you got your places mm-hmm. you go, people you see. Red as an outsider has lost his only like human companionship, and so it's like this is a game where you're spending time in a really bleak, fucked up world with a recent widower, and so like vampire, like yeah, dude, you got turned into a vampire and that sucks. But like in the meantime, time to clock in for your shift and hang with your buds. <laughs> and yep. and banishers is like ah. Uh, now out into the frost to confront to confront the dread dreams of of New Eden. Uh, to me, the vibe so far is like, yeah, it's the early colonial period, but it is this ain't that historical a drama. This is like New Eden's a fictional colony, but also it just feels like so detached from the actual history of colonization. I haven't heard hiding her hair of like you know native americans in in the region like slavery is like obviously exists but it's so like it's just a it is it is very much a like what we're going to like a haunted like salem type town uh and dealing with it feels more salem than anything else yeah i feel like that is the that's more of the the touchdown here i mean yeah you do meet some uh you know, indigenous characters as you go about, but I agree with you that it is not, it's, it's a choose your own adventure, uh, fantasy that it's, that, that I think well, it's kind of, I was sort of surprised, like the weird thing, like this period in colonial history doesn't get covered much. Like it's funny. Like I think 10 years before this game in this region, you would have had King Philip's war taking place, which is like, mm. this is probably the, the closest the new England colonies came to literally being driven back onto the boats, uh, and, and burned <laughs> out. Uh, like it was a B I think it was greater than a decimation of the total population of the colonies, uh, like huge war fought between local, local tribes and, uh, the colonists. And this is only like 10 years later. And like, it's a different, you know, obviously it's, you wouldn't have people sharing memes like in the 1600s being like, man, can you believe it was just, you know, five years ago today, our village was burned, uh, by, by, by the war party. But it does feel kind of weird that like, yeah, it's just, you know, in this, in this timeline, it doesn't feel like anything like that has, has ever happened. Uh, it's just, we, we kind of, we kind of posted up here, uh, to turn into colonial stereotypes about what about Sa- about what Salem was like, uh, but yeah, I'm like again, it's such a unique. That's what I'm here for. It's like it's such a unique setting. The characters are like 
you know, how many Scottish main characters do you get? Like in some ways it's like, here's another white guy, but man, I love his accent. Oh, I love his accent. I'm here for this accent. Shocking Um, Scots in this game. Uh, Like (laughs) to the point where it's like, I feel like they might've had a really good like casting agent in Scotland and just maybe made their lives easier by being like, uh, yeah, this person, this Scottish too. <laughs> what are you supposed uh, to do? Not cast all these good actors we found just, just outside? No. They're, sorry. They're all Scots here. Uh, but yeah, like I, uh, I, I dig it so far though. I think like, um, me too. I was, it's such a goofy looking game. All the trailers have been like, damn, like you really be sad about your ghost wife. And, that's my favorite. That's out, my, yeah, that's my favorite Decemberist album, Ghost Wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, Kato, if if like a Decemberist tracks just started playing in the middle of me exploring, it would it, it would fit. fit. Yeah. Like it's, I don't like. There's very little. There's nothing <sighs> hopeful in this game. Like the most hope you get in this game is well, if you band together as a community. <laughs> At least a little less of us will die. Yeah. Like, there's not, I mean, like, it's not. Sometimes you, sometimes you feed your baby a little more essence uh, to give her a brief, yeah. brief <laughs> taste of mortality again. Uh, but, like, even even there, I think, even that, like, as goofy as it is in some ways, like, it's also kind of a poignant metaphor for, like, in some ways, yeah, this is a game all about closure and letting go. But I also think the central metaphor could be read as, like, uh, dealing with, like, the terminal illness of a loved one. Like, in a lot of ways, what Red mm-hmm. and Auntie are inhabiting is, like, they're going to have to let go. She has lost a number of like her key abilities, but she is still here. She is still herself, but like declining and like diminished. There's a, there's a, there's this, uh, a moment that's really beautiful every time it happens where, uh, when you get to a spot oh. to rest where you can upgrade your equipment, um, and you can, uh, you know, it'll reset like, materials in the area it'll reset enemy spawns yada 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 but when you rest it it doesn't just like go to black and come back up like red lays down and then your partner who is a ghost spirit or whatever like the the terms using in the game like it, it cuts to a fast forward where she is just like running around, stroking your hair. She's bored. Like it runs through the eight hours that you're asleep and gives you like really, it really grounds you in this like kind of beautiful moment of like what these two are going through. It's a very earnest Mm -hmm. game, right? Like it's a very sad game, but it's very earnest. uh, And I guess that's what I've always, I mean, that's like, that is a broader thematic through line through don't not as a studio. It's sappy, it's earnest like that. That is part like core to the DNA of their storytelling, even when it's profoundly sad. Um, and like that is present here in a much more gothic sort of uh, trapping. But it's little touches like that, Rob, that I'm like, ah, oh. yeah. like, yeah, that's the shit I'm here it's for yeah, like in a game like time. this. Yeah. So, yeah, like I think there's there's a lot of merit to it. I want to I'm going to play a bit more of it. Uh, I think we'll you know, we'll I think next next week I think we'll find out if Patrick's going to stick with it longer. Uh, if I'm going to stick with it. Um, yeah, I'd like for you to get to, if you get to I'll get past the beast. a character called. Thi- yeah, a character called Thick Skin, a quest called the Beast. I think you'll have a better sense of the combat flow, like where it's going, if you're going to find any of that interesting. And at that point, I can probably get to like the next major quest milestone and I'll have I'll have a sense of like. Rob, I think you're good at the beast. I think you've seen yeah. uh, what the the game has to has to offer. But um, yeah, it's 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 
I'm liking it. Uh, I'm I just I'm liking it. I hope to love it. I just don't I don't know yet if I'm gonna get there quite yet. Yeah. Um. Well, I think with that we will leave off for today. I think next you'll hear us we'll be talking about what Xbox has uh, revealed, and maybe that conversation ends up being fast. We'll answer an email or something. But uh, it's been a long <laughs> show anyway. Lots, much to discuss, much to ponder. Uh, but you know, after this, you're we don't hear even us have any orbs into <laughs> what, and we don't even have any orbs here. You know, we could be pondering even more. It's true. Well, uh, I, I think you know we're going to look deeply into the the announcement that Xbox makes and and see if we if we see salvation for video games uh, <laughs> in their future. Watch that whole announcement be like, "Whoa, y'all took this way too far." We're releasing a couple games on PlayStation. <laughs> Beyond that, status quo. Get ready for Xbox Series X Slim or something, and that's it. But uh, we we will see. And we're back, uh, ready for part two of this podcast. I think we got three hours uh, we can record <laughs> on the Stop Xbox it. podcast uh, from from yesterday. Uh, so, I guess short version is we all might have gotten overexcited. <laughs> Longer version is it kind of feels like we assumed that more stuff was going to be happening, and there'd be more of a sense of a, a plan and a clear description of what Xbox's direction moving forward is. And I came away not entirely feeling like we had that. In fact, I felt I came away feeling like we didn't even have really good detail on the things Xbox was willing to tell us. Uh, so Patrick, real quick, what can you break down bullet points? What did we get confirmed? Well, we got confirmed like a the, the baseline, which is there are games from Xbox that are going to appear natively on other platforms differently than how Xbox originally drew it up, which was things will exist natively on Xbox hardware, PC, and you'll access that through other platforms, through these cloud gaming services that we're going to heavily emphasize. Uh, what's changing here uh, is that uh, four unnamed games, although multiple people have reported that the games are, are going to be Sea of Thieves, Grounded, Pentiment, and Hi-Fi Rush, uh, with games like Starfield or Indiana Jones, essentially to be determined at a later date. Um, uh, you know, in, in the broadest possible terms, Xbox has is determining that it's better to make some money on games that are no longer actively making money on Xbox, bring those to other platforms and see if that can make their whole business unit suddenly make a little more sense in the face of escalating development costs, sluggish Xbox hardware sales, and probably most importantly, uh, Game Pass stagnating to a certain degree. Uh, there's some clarity from uh, we talked a little bit about this on uh, our GeForce Now stream that we did uh, on Thursday, uh, where we got updated Game Pass numbers to 34 million. We have further clarity on that, which is that's like dumping together Xbox Live Gold, like everything into that. And so those numbers are actually a little more concerning than uh, you might have even you might have already been concerned that 34 million seems out of step with where you expect them to be or where they expect it to be. It's even more concerning when it's them bundling previous uh, Xbox members into a cumulative uh, number. Um, so, you know, uh, Spencer was asked directly in several interviews uh, and, and even in this podcast by <laughs> my old co-worker, Tina Amini, which was very funny, um, who shout out to Tina. Great, great colleague. was wonderful to work with at many places. Um and uh, was asked, like, what is this a fundamental shift? Uh, and, and 
you know, if I'm to summarize it, Spencer more or less said, it's a fundamental shift the entire industry is undergoing. Like they see the end game of video games as being platform agnostic with big pillar content creators uh, that circle the medium that is video games and how everyone gets there is going to be different. And this is how Xbox is getting there. So those games have not been announced. The, the broad understanding seems to be if you get in a Nintendo Direct, you shut the fuck up and you wait until Nintendo announces those games <laughs> because <laughs> by all reports, there was supposed to be a, a, a Nintendo Partner Direct, which is what emphasizes third-party games as opposed to Nintendo's first-party lineup, of which mostly doesn't exist because they're waiting for the Switch 2 anyway. Um, <laughs> but that, that that Partner Direct is apparently happening next week where I don't know if all four of these games will be announced, but I suspect at least Hi-Fi Rush, Pentiment um, are likely to be part of those. So I think... Microsoft now finds itself in a world where it's not just publishing games on Nintendo platforms, it wants to partner with Nintendo, and I think you see a little bit of the power dynamic there in which they don't want to step on those announcements that are, if you want to hit, have it hit hard, you have it hit in a Nintendo Direct, but I think that broadly brings us to where we're at today. Why, why am I remembering seeing the Xbox logo at a previous Nintendo thing? Well, they brought Ori, Ori in the Blind Ori. Forest. Um, okay. Um, so they uh, mine, they support Minecraft on, on right. all platforms. So right. so Microsoft, Microsoft as a company already has development kits and publishes and supports games on various platforms. Yeah. You'll see the Microsoft logo on Call of Duty, you know, going forward. Um, but th- this is uh, a little bit like or like this is a little bit different to have completely in-house games suddenly becoming. Right. Yeah. Um, Games that are touted as like, hey, this is what you sign up for Xbox for. Um, those games suddenly going to yeah. to other platforms. But they own Moon Studios now. Or was that after Ori? I don't made? think they own Moon Studios. I think they funded oh. Ori. Um, okay. Because Moon Studios has a Diablo-style game uh, coming out in early access soonish. And I don't I don't think that is exclusive to 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 xbox um i i I will double check that and see if i'm wrong but i I don't think they i don't think they own moon uh outright i think one of the things that jumped out for me a couple things uh one was they didn't exactly explain what their plans are hardware wise but they committed to really promoting new hardware and then through news in new hardware coming this holiday it was the news coming or or was the hardware coming? Maybe a combination holiday? of both. So, I mean, you know, in the <laughs> FTC documents, there were indications that uh, there was a, a digital-only disc-lisk uh, Xbox that looks like a old Apple uh, Mac Pro cylinder unit coming mm. sometime this generation. Didn't seem to suspect that it was going to be a hardware bump. It was, like, just a cheaper uh, packaging of probably a, a Series X um, alongside a new uh, controller. Um there's uh, and also there have been indications that Xbox is working on a handheld of some some device, whether that'll end up being a uh, like I think Logitech makes the G cloud, which is like only taps into cloud based services. It has no onboard hardware to process games. Um, it's unclear whether Xbox would try to run games like try to fit a Series S into a handheld or or whether they would exclusively rely on their their cloud stuff. Sorry, Rob, you were saying. Well, like they also like, yes, we expected some sort of like cut down Xbox Series X. 
what they what they teased was that there's going to be an Xbox that's going to be the largest technical leap uh, we've ever seen Whatever inside a generation. Means. Is that yeah, what they I, is that what they're implying? No, no, they, that, that they, was that that was them trying to. Uh, clarify they were not getting out of the hardware business. So mm-hmm. whatever the next cycle is, okay. they will be selling a box whenever that cycle is. Whether, you know, we had, you know, we also discussed on the podcast uh, about Sony, you know, uh, suggesting they are in the, like, latter half of the PS5s. Like, yeah. like, basically, everyone's, look, when you make a box, it is not something in a year in advance you sit down and go, well, let's put together a PC. Like, it's a it's a process that takes three to five years to get across the, the, the finish line. And so ra- Sony's not out here saying we're making a PS6, although we know they are. Uh, I think this is Microsoft being explicit about make saying we're making a box to reassure people. If you are investing in our ecosystem, there will be somewhere for that ecosystem to keep living for, you know, I mean, this essentially is Microsoft saying we're going to make hardware for the next 10 years, right? Like I would say like that's essentially a decade commitment. What happens beyond that? Who can, who They're can committing say. it to at least one, at least one more generation of Xbox existing, right? Right, and I think their hope is to get out of the hardware business entirely, or to become a niche business because right. they want regulators to step in and have cloud stuff happen everywhere. I mean, one of the things that happened this week as well was uh, I'm out here rooting for GeForce Now to get on the Apple TV, so uh, I can just have all that live on my one uh, TV upstairs where the controllers connect really nicely and. There's no latency or reduced latency. And despite uh, Apple under regulatory pressure opening up the App Store to have streaming services, Xbox said explicitly the Apple's moves were not enough. Um, they want to operate their own App Store under different monetization parameters. Basically, they don't want to give 30% uh, to Apple. So um, that that part will not be changing their, their current strategy. I'm kind of going back to like the first party exclusiveness of things. Is there a line that was said that kind of implies that they're going to look at more stuff going forward? Cause I didn't really get that sense as much. Like I got the, like with the Starfield, like Indiana Jones thing specifically, like it was explicitly stated that those aren't the games. And the implication I got was the stuff that we don't see as like tentpole to the Xbox exclusive brand. will like tout those out as time well, goes and live service stuff. But I felt like the heavy hitters, like the vibe I got was like the heavy hitters we keep, but the stuff we don't think is as relevant. will tout around well, for now. Is, I- this is partly what was weird about the whole like podcast and press conference thing that they were doing, which is that there was part of this that was like, all right, here's all we are telling you right now for four games. And it's not the ones that were rumored last week, but then like it meandered a bit. And it got a little bit like Phil Spencer started like musing about just the direction of things and mm-hmm. to what Patrick was saying earlier about like seeing what the 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 end game of the video game market is. Uh, Spencer gets to this point where he's like just the direction things are moving is not games running on exclusive hardware. Uh, he, and from his perspective, also the market's not expanding, right? Like, like. Well, this was the other the, part. Is he he made the dire pronouncement that like when the industry doesn't grow, it's got to optimize. Uh, and the well, and the PS Five suggests that, right? Like the I think Sony's projections that the PS Five stays on its current track. Uh, it it's not on track to outsell the PS Four, and games are more expensive, and game prices as high as they are are not tracking with inflation, and so. Uh, 
$70 seems like a lot of money. The cost, like the cost of a game is going up and it's like, do you want it in live service? Do you want it in battle passes or do you want to pay $80, $90 for Spider-Man three, which is, I think is probably where, where we are headed uh, in the future. I want to read this quote from a verge piece, which is an interview with Phil Spencer that I think gets to this point that Janet uh, was asking about. So I think it's a Tom Warren asks, you mentioned the Starfield and Indiana Jones aren't part of the four despite rumors, but will those ever come to PlayStation five? Can you rule that out? This is Spencer. I don't think we should, as an industry, ever rule out a game going to any other platform. We're focused on these four games and learning from the experience. But I don't want to create a false expectation on those other platforms that this is somehow the first four to get over the dam, and then the dam is going to open, and then everything else is coming. That's not the plan today. I also don't want to mislead customers on those other platforms. We're launching these four games, and we're excited about it. We're excited about the announce and everything else, but we'll see what happens for our business. I understand his attempt to temper expectations for both Xbox and perhaps PlayStation or Switch owners. I don't know how you do that. Once you've once you've done this, you create the expectation. And how is it often put in annoyingly online, like stop port begging, uh, which is to say when a game is announced <laughs> and you want it to be on your uh, uh, hardware platform, don't spend like a message board thread just whining about the fact that it isn't on yours i've never heard of that are people like saying that? Um, are people saying that about me oh my god is switch version when though is the ultimate switch version when. yes yeah. yes 100 percent. and i don't know like mm, i understand Spencer saying this <laughs> well, so am i that's why i got a steam deck so i could stop begging for a switch port and i just run those pc versions ask, and then i don't play it either i just i'm just <laughs> you know uh, like, oh, here it is. I was like, oh, like, when is it coming? Oh, I'm, I'm busy that day. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't I don't know how you don't win, you know, Avowed. Let's say Avowed, you know, comes out later this year. And I know some of the trailers have been a little iffy, but like, oh, man, it turns out the writing is kick ass and like the world is great. PS5 win. You know what I mean? Like, how is how is that not going to be? The expectation amongst a lot of players. I well, think I think you created this, especially because the games that appear to be like they're readying up for this. If it were just games in like the Sea of Thieves, Minecraft type niche, where it's live like, look, service, these are right. li- these are live service. They need big player bases. Like, there's just ultimately people are playing these online. Let's just put it online everywhere. If it was just that, yeah. I think it would have been very easy to say like this is a really small shift in the Xbox strategy. We just don't think exclusive multiplayer games. And it totally dovetails with their sweet little like it's better when everyone plays stuff. Yeah. Great. But then when you're introducing like single player games that were formerly exclusive to your platform, it just starts to become arbitrary. Like you know, I'm not saying like if they're like, and we're putting Pentamin out there, that doesn't necessarily translate to well. If you're putting uh, the medieval Ger- Germany, uh, <laughs> you know, visual novel banger out there, adventure game banger out there, then where's Starfield? It doesn't totally track, but at the same time, there's an underlying principle that like, well, I mean, you know, why not? Uh, be, unless you truly believe that like Starfield is going to move a meaningful number of consoles, once that principle has been seeded. Uh, it just starts to turn into, well, we'd like to sell the game to more players who are not going to make a console purchasing decision based on Starfield. Uh, and at that point, you just want it you want it in front of more people. So I, I do think they've set the expectation, even in that statement that, that Spencer is making, you know, uh, to, to Tom Warren, not saying that today. I don't want to mislead people. <laughs> Today's doing a lot of work where it's just like they're yeah. just not ready to fully. It, it feels like there is a lot of writing on the wall. 
they can't skip to the <laughs> they can't skip to the bottom of the page, but it feels like we're moving in that direction because again, he basically tipped his hand, which was that nobody at Microsoft thinks the age of like console exclusives selling tons of hardware is that is a model that's going to replicate. And I think it dovetails to what we spoke about in the first half of the show where that entire model was also to promote third party software being sold on your platform that you take royalties on. And like that sector of business has also kind of collapsed a bit. It's not as meaningful as it was. So it's just the, the underlying logic of console sales and how you profit off being a platform holder has changed so tremendously that it certainly doesn't seem like anyone at Xbox thinks that like we're going to be holding our bangers back to move Xbox hardware. They just don't seem seem to think that. And, you know, why should they? It's it's kind of hasn't worked out for them so far. Well, that's kind of well, what they're doing. Well, I guess it I guess it'll depend on. Well, here's a question for you all. If you think that this is where that's going. When do you see that? happen? Do you think it'll be like, oh, next year? And this is like slow rollout. That they didn't want to announce. Or is it like. Hey, we're saving. It's almost like, have you ever been so broke that you just started selling your things? Is it like going to be that energy where it's like a couple years? In, you know, I'm not going to lie. I pawned my Apple. I sold my Apple watch to go to Disney or whatever, or like my family's or whatever. You know, like we we started selling some games. Who needs like, that- an Apple watch when you get a Disney ar- armband? we sold so many things to go to disney that year like you have no idea um i i lost a lot of things that year but is that do you know and that could be like five years from now or like what do y'all if you had to pick one what are you like betting i think think it's less of a fire sale as much as it's like look at like i think starfield has a pretty easy arc to understand in which that game has what two pieces of dlc that are announced um and then at some point you package those together and you have the definitive edition, the game of the year edition. And so very easy to imagine. Can you just make a game of the year edition or did someone have to tell you that? Yeah. Yeah, you can. You can oh, you can't. Stop. How many, how many unjustified game of the year? Do you know how many, have, have you been? looked, have you looked at game companies when they put out, the like, cause a lot of the big publications have got away <laughs> from scoring games, but game companies still want to put out an accolades, accolades trailer yeah, yeah. and things like, and graphics. And yeah. you read through, and I'm not trying, I'm, I have worked for many small blogs and websites over the years, but you see some of those, like some of the names of these websites and yo, we're stretching to get this website <laughs> in the ac- in the my, accolades one. My favorite is when you see like the store page and it's a quote from an outlet and the quote from the outlet is literally just them explaining what the game is. They <laughs> <laughs> usually like, they RPG usually ask fantasy elements. And I'm yes, like, yeah, yes. that's what the game is. What are you yeah. About? Yeah. At least I, one time ask, I saw one, they, they don't. They, they quote they they quoted uh, from an outlet. It was like the word exhilarating, but the, it was just the outlet quoting a press release the game company had sent out. Oh, so it just recursively like got back into the marketing. <laughs> um, so so what a definitive edition game of the year, whatever you want to call it. But when you're putting out one of those, like hey, Starfield is sort of at end of life in terms of the content. We're still going to be updating it, tweaking it, uh, helping the Starfield community. But now we're going to bring in our friends at PlayStation and also, you know, our friends at Nintendo, because maybe it could run on the next oh, switch man. or something like that. And so <laughs> like that's just that. And, and that is at least like a community, like a very easy to communicate. I don't think that feels like a betrayal to Xbox fans or people participating in that, in that ecosystem feeling as though they're, are they going to get to a point where potentially thousands of dollars they've spent is in a platform that might get 
shut off uh, someday. Um, but it's it's much tougher with an Indiana Jones, or it's like, what is that that line? That's why I think Rob's point of had they started this with Sea of Thieves and said, look, we we operate Minecraft. It's been very successful having that everywhere. We're just considering Sea of Thieves to be one of those. And, you know, who knows who knows what could come next? And um, I think that ramp up would have been, even if we ended up in the same exact place, would have at least had a logical escalation that feels less sweaty than the way Phil Spencer and like everyone felt on that. Like there was an, even though that podcast was rehearsed and they knew what questions were coming, they knew what talking points were happening. There was still a sort of like, well, Tina, a little, well, I question, like, I don't know. You know I mean? They didn't want to announce it this way. I think the expectation had been for it to happen through a Nintendo direct. Cause the thing that makes the most sense is that, the thing that maybe they should have just said that I think everybody would have bought is like, do you have any idea how many switches have sold? Do you have any idea how many potential customers there are? They're not even like, putting out real games on, on that thing anymore. Yeah. It's like, we just need to get this stuff on a switch. People like there's so many people who would, who would buy that. Uh, yeah. I, I, it did, it did have kind of a sweaty, sweaty vibe. Uh, now, you know, sometimes, the sweatometer stage <laughs> lights can be a little hot. Mm-hmm. We've all been there. We've we've mm-hmm. been we've been in like a vice studio, being like, "Whew, this is a little." <laughs> it's getting a little intense. Uh, but uh, but it did it did sort of feel like this had turned into uh, a bit of a a bit of a fire drill uh, when when it comes to just like putting expectations back back in the box. Um, but I you know I I think it underneath all of that there there was that sort of uncertainty about what does the future of this business look like? I don't think they know. I actually believe Spencer when he says, um, quote, we're focused on these four games and learning from the experience. I I actually believe that to be largely the case. Does that mean that that doesn't stop them from preemptively like getting Starfield prepped to possibly be on PlayStation? Hey, Bethesda, you've done multi-platform development for a long time. Like keep rolling on a PlayStation Five version, you know what I mean? Like, like mm-hmm. it's not the top priority. That game needs to ship on Xbox and PC this fall. But like, hey, if we're already doing a Gears of War remastered collection, like again, it's not as simple as export to PS Five. But I understand the idea that you would begin committing resources so you could make those decisions later if these games end up hitting or 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 performing well enough that it makes sense at a certain stage to bring these other other games there. So I'm sure on a spreadsheet, like there's more detailed information of like where they think this is projected out. Yeah. But I also do believe them like on its face that we'll see what happens. I do think there is a we'll see what happens uh, sort of uh, vibe to this. Which I kind of like. Uh, like I have never really known... It, it's it's funny from my from my few times in in a corporate environment where I'd be adjacent to where to say, things are being pitched and uh you know there you know you're at a level where you're seeing corporate direction stuff set. In general, I found that wildly overconfident like executives or director level people tended to get like listened to and people really felt good about like 
you would hear you would hear them talk about after meetings like man that he's so smart like you know we got to we we got to resource this project we got to go in that direction because uh, they they just they're so smart and they see where things are headed uh, and and we got to be there and usually those people were just dead wrong right it was like speaking speaking confidently and loudly and over other people uh, without like sort of admitting all the things that couldn't be known that couldn't be predicted that that aren't questions that are that are answered and I think those people tend to thrive. Uh, at at the higher higher levels of companies, I do kind of like that Spencer's style seems to be a little bit more straightforward in terms of I don't know, I don't have, I you know, I, I'm not sitting here saying like here's the future of Xbox and video games that we've we've figured it out. Um, I in some ways it does make the optics worse. You get you, you know you do have people like us being like Ooh, seemed a little sweaty, seemed a little seemed a little thrown together. <laughs> But at the same time, if I were sort of dealing with the rumors that had come out and sort of the things that people could extrapolate, including us, like this could signal a profound shift to what Xbox is doing, especially as their only business model isn't, isn't amazing. If I had to go like in front of a camera, even a friendly one with an interviewer who works in house and explain like, why are we doing this? And what's the plan for the future of video games? <laughs> if I didn't sound a little sweaty and a little bit like, you know, chin stroking, I'd probably be just like a charlatan, right? Like, I think that, I think that would be the, I think, I think that's what, that's how you'd come across. Um, I, 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 I kind of, I did kind of appreciate the degree to which there was a bit of humility about, what all this signifies. We don't know. Yeah. And it turns out Xbox doesn't really either. <laughs> yeah. It, it's the, um, it was sort of like a forced hand of transparency, but like, even with that being said, like that's sort of an Xbox communication style from the jump. And that does open them up to a lot more, um, hyper analysis. Like we can't sit around and talk about this with PlayStation because they refuse to like, give us anything to like, talk. like sometimes <laughs> they give, there's some stuff, right. We talked about, you know, like the, um, life service push and like you know the their game output for this year like there's certainly still talking points but when it comes to something like even their pc strategy they've never really said anything about anything what they what they think about it what they feel about it why they're doing nothing we're like we're just kind of seeing it happen and we're like well it seems like maybe they do it like a yearish after and it's mm -hmm. like you know what I mean? Like they're, they're not saying anything. I and I don't know. It does work out for them in a sense, right? We don't end up sort hyper of. looking uh, into their, that. Their, P, their PC releases have been up and down in terms of how hard they hit. Um, yeah. Helldivers is certainly the most successful release. And I think Spider-Man did, did really well. Um, but they're, they've not all been bangers out out, out the gate. Um, I don't think their strategy necessarily is, is completely... Um, they seem to be winging it a bit too. I'm, again, yeah. I'm sure there must but be a But we don't know that. You know what I mean? Well, we right. know because we see it happening. But it's like there isn't a convert, a larger, deeper conversation. Like the Here's conversation how we view the PC we, and PlayStation's yes. relationship with it is really just like, hey, it might come to PC eventually. But you know the best way to get it when that you know you know it's not eventually a PlayStation Five. Yeah, in your we're home it's <laughs> right a lot now. more observing the right actions now. of PlayStation while Xbox, whether it's yeah. You know, to their own decision where they do hold a lot of like, you know, direct conversations with their consumers and like it's a lot more of like a down to earth kind of vibe or it's like responding to things like this. 
but then they end up getting like trapped in this awkward spot like i saw a lot of people you know um frustrated with like him not just naming the games but it's like obviously he can't and like people know that he can't but like people are still upset that they didn't it's kind of like well you can only be still so transparent in certain things so it's like well this is all i can give you i know it's not what you put on your list but like pretty transparent why he like i I think i i I, I, the the frustration over that specific i was like i mean i get it on some level but because of the nature of how this happened it's not an like this was them on their back heels they're responding to a firestorm yeah. of rumors and and reporting and my Nintendo's going to knock down that door I'm like are you crazy I'm like he's that, that, I, that? I genuinely think it's as simple as that as, yeah. as like if you get a Nintendo Direct you're not announcing it on the Xbox <laughs> video yeah. podcast well, <laughs> and it's it does yes it makes so much more of this feel dramatic because I think if like it was it was kind of a big deal when PlayStation games started showing up on PC, but at the same time, it was like after such a long time that yeah. they had already been exclusive to PlayStation platforms that it was like, all right, it's been about a decade. You guys want some Last of Us? And it's like if you are still holding out, if you are still like in your PC bunker and being like, man, I just want to play The Last of Us. I'm sick of seeing all these, you know, seeing all these memes and and like see, hearing about what a, what a great experience this is. When do I get to play? And the answer is 10 years later. And that doesn't make anyone question like, oh, what a what a profound shift from what PlayStation is doing. And I think it's a similar thing. If if Xbox weren't sort of telegraphing, like, you know, here's the here's the strategy shift. But instead, it were like, you know, five years from now, the Indiana Jones game lands on the PlayStation. Everyone would be like, yeah, that tracks. Sure. Get those get those <laughs> long tail sales. But it is the fact that the moment you sort of like flag it as an announcement, it hits it, it hits differently and it sort of hits this content industrial complex where it sort of gets like sliced and diced and, and, and microanalyzed. Uh, like, you know, it's, it's understandable why some firms are, are, are less communicative uh, than, than this. Well, and fundamentally, I, I think what part of what Xbox might be trying to address here is, is, is games have always been similar to where, Hollywood has arrived at now, which is that movies used to be you come out in a theater, you come out on DVD or VHS, but then you're also on cable. Like there now was, they don't even come out. <laughs> yeah, then you get a tax write off. Yeah, if you're if you're Warner Brothers, but there were different avenues to make money and budget for the scope of a project over time. Now that's just not the case. It's like there's box office if it comes out there, but even, you know, box office is pretty kind of a mixed bag these days. There's a reason it's so IP driven to get people out of their homes because they become used to, to streaming. Uh, but then when it's just a movie is just dumped to streaming, whatever you got up front to make that movie is all that's ever going to exist. And games have functioned similarly where they've always just broadly been a singular transaction. And if you can't make the math work on the platform, this is where live service comes from. This is where microtransactions comes from. Yes, it, it, you, you can look at them. They can be done very cynically, and they can be done to be purely extractive of how do you make more from a single dollar. But I think we have enough evidence at this point that games are just prof- like profoundly too expensive. Like it is a, there have to be other ways to make the math work. And one way to make that math work, maybe exactly like you said, Rob, which is the long tail, which is at a certain point, can you make some amount like DVD money from an Indiana Jones on a PlayStation five? Um, the question for Xbox is just going to be, 
how much does that cannibalize the the front end of it? Are you are you are you uh, sacrificing like your initial box office return on Xbox because people are willing to wait? Right. I mean, I look at look at the Steam is obviously very popular. You can make a lot of money, but people are also conditioned there to wait for a sale because the sales come. And so, I mean, you, you, when you, once you start conditioning people with expectations, you, you, you know, maybe that's how they'll act. I just don't know how, how profound that act or react is going to be on, on Xbox. I guess Indiana Jones will be like our first big test for, for that. Yeah. The, uh, so I had missed this quote. Uh, this is the type of quote I think we were thirsting for uh, from this. Apparently this mm. was from Sarah Bond at an internal Microsoft town hall, though, mm. uh, where she told where she told staff, according to uh, people who spoke to inverse, every screen is an Xbox. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like now that's the direct. And it does feel like that. Basically, that's the direction. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, yeah. Can we it's like a, if it it's hooks up to the fucking Internet? You can put an X mm-hmm. in the middle of a rectangle at all times. <laughs> it's an X box. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love that. But at that point, yes, it is going. It, it is going to be like if, it just, if it's just a connected device. We're going to have some sort of Xbox uh, like portal on it that you will be able to at some point play games on. But uh, that's that's if you were to yeah. if you were to view, you know, Obviously, like Xbox was this weird little skunks works project within and Microsoft that kind of took on a life of its own. But like Rob and I, you, you, you and I talked about this in our letter series. If you were to sit and look at Microsoft as a company and conceptualize what would they do in video games that exemplified the DNA of Microsoft, it would be exactly that. Like their enterprise software. Like mm-hmm. you would just have an Xbox on every screen. Like fundamentally. Xbox 365. <laughs> oh my god. Oh yeah, oh fuck. shit. <laughs> fuck, that's no. Game Pass. Fuck. Fuck. Ah! God damn it. I have incurred psychic damage. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Okay, Kato, I, yeah. I, I know I, I gave you a different title for the podcast, but uh-huh. we got a new one. Yeah. <laughs> got it. We got yep. a new one. Yep. <laughs> oh. I think you ended the segment, Rob. <laughs> yeah, that is that is that is done. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, I am curious. Oh, sorry, Kyle, go ahead. Uh, no, it was it was a dumb thing. Uh, I, I I was like, what? That's never shirt. stopped this before. What <laughs> shirt? <laughs> what shirt was uh-huh. Phil Spencer wearing? And I went back. It was just like some generic like Xbox branding thing. And then I decided yeah. to see. Well, what other shirts have these worn? I put Phil Spencer shirts into. Google, and then uh-huh. it auto completed Phil Spencer shirt less. No, <laughs> but the return on this is all one very specific shirt. It's the Hexen shirt. It's the I need to buy. Shirt. I need to buy this. I need Everyone. Rob. We need. We need to buy this shirt. <laughs> There's so many options for you to get. Uh, Phil we Spencer need to buy Hexen. one with routine on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, no, I was just I was just gonna say. Uh, so I was I was talking to MK the other day. I mentioned the um, uh, survey results that we were discussing from Don't Nod, mm-hmm. and MK works at a very boring, traditional, like large company. You know, people spend thirty years there, retire, etc. And she was like, "If we had survey results that showed th- like thirty to forty percent of people do not feel their work matters, that would be like a five alarm fire." at my company like, <laughs> like we like when we get our survey data 
it is nowhere uh, near like a third of people are like I lack a sense of purpose or conviction any of this means anything. That's an ex- that's apparently like kind of an extraordinary survey result. Wow. I am still not sure if that's an extraordinary result for industries like video games. Yeah. My context yeah. of being in media is I wouldn't blink an eye. Yeah. At like fully, you know, half 80%. of people being like I feel awful I about I, this job. I wish I could remember what Nintendo's thing was because, like, on the Kit and Krista podcast, they talked about what Nintendo's threshold is for that, and when it's above that, like, Nintendo freaks out. Like, they like freak out, like, oh my god. So I'm Who, people. What, what people should write this? in. Was it us? Let yeah. us know what kind of company you work for. If you ever get survey data about like just the vibe, I'm actually really curious what people have observed in their own working experiences about like what is normal. I just looked at like just generic survey data and actually tracks really closely with like the type of numbers you get from don't nod where it's like, if you just lump together all workers across the economy and you're asked about like job satisfaction, you tend to get about like 60% satisfaction rate. People being like, yeah, you know, I'm happy. So it works fine. It's not bad. I like it. Mm -hmm. So I am kind of curious uh, how it breaks down for for people in in various industries, but it was it was very industry interesting to me to like sort of peer over the the wall into the land of like your boring traditional white collar job, uh, and it's like not everyone's pretty happy, and they tend to, they tend to feel like the future's going to be like? fine, and I'm like, damn, there's companies like that, just not in video games. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, I think uh, I think that will that that will do it for for this one. Um, you know, we will we'll be back next week with with more remap radio. Uh, there was an outro that I should do. I forgot to do it yesterday. Let me just pull up the outro. Kyle can edit this part out. Uh, sure, I will. better edit this part out. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Well, now I have to leave. Leave the thread in, though, so people know. See, now, if I was editing. The satisfaction rate is dipping, Rob. Yeah. We got feedback on the podcast, Rob. I would just make the length of, like, pauses longer. Just, like, like Adding us and ums. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Stretching them out. This concludes another episode of Radio. The theme song is Moments. No, it's not Moments Pause anymore. <laughs> it's our theme song. It's Mello. our theme song. We, we never named it. We should we should give it a name. Oh, oh, now we're naming it. Now I bring this up every I'm time still, I host it. Kato, I'm, Kato I'm, Kato just goes, no, I'm it's get, the theme it's song. It's just the, the remap theme song. Our it theme is. song for this podcast. Yeah, it's our uh, our theme song is by Two Mellow. You can check out his work on twomellow.net. You can follow everything we do at Remap Radio on Twitch, Blue Sky, Twitter, YouTube, and other platforms. Once again, we rely on our audience for support. And you can sign up to become a backer by going to remapradio.com and following the links and instructions you see there. This week, Patreon subscribers got to hear Patrick and I uh, discuss the mighty Detroit Lions ad-free. Uh, with with Jeff Grubb and the the end of the football season and the the bright future awaiting uh, various Chicago sports teams. One uh, day, sport- Rob, Rob, you're gonna you, you gotta scrub that Patreon out of there. You love our Patreon. Oh. I love to go to Patreon.com/slash/RemapRadio. Yeah. We do not have. Work. No, doesn't exist. Not real. <laughs> It's a fucking psyop. But also be, because it's white level, nobody knows what member for slash remap radio. No. 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 <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, so Janet, I know we're suing you, but can you still come on the show? Uh, well, now see now I now I fucked myself over because now if someone does that, y'all are gonna think it's me. It, it is was not. Janet all along. Yeah, it's an inside job. Uh, your sport also lets us set time aside for streaming uh, this week. Well, let's see. Uh, we're, there's gonna be some Lunacid. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you can probably check out the VOD for that. Uh, after you know, after you get this this episode, uh, we also streamed our, as Patrick alluded to, our GeForce Now uh, stream. We checked out Skull and Bones. Mm. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> it was it was a good stream. It was a good time. I, I, like, I could have played Rob, another I hour. I was, off of it. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> I was real curious, like what it would have been like if I ever got a pirate ship. So, real quick, I will just uh-huh. acknowledge. I thought it was kind of weird. that Skull and Bone. You can play for like an hour or so. You don't get a pirate ship. You build a pirate ship. <laughs> you build one. Out of logs. Acacia. Yeah, you just go out there. <laughs> Acacia. Just go out there and you you build your pirate ship out of out of green wood. Uh and you know, this week we also played Helldivers. And I think we really put on a clinic for how <laughs> how you can play Helldivers at, at the highest level there is, which is of course the medium difficulty. The medium level. <laughs> we'll be back next week with another episode of remap radio until then thanks so much for choosing to spend some of your time with us fuck capitalism go home we'll be right back